This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. Um, my fault. I forgot to hit live. We've been talking for like 15 minutes. Um, That's your fault. We, we were talking. Hey, everybody. Oh, wait, where's my... Here we go. Okay. Yes. Let me there see. Let me see. No, I got it. I just got okay, it. Okay. In fact, I got to trade this in because they came out with the new joints and I done had this one so long, this iPhone, that I know I won't have to pay nothing else. So I want a better camera and all that so when we do our from locations we can uh we can do it straight but I, but but the app everything got to switch and you know I, I have to take a, a one of these kids with me when i do stuff like that because i don't know <laughs> you know my, my 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 standby my brother he he over there playing soccer in england my nephew so I can't get the expert. <laughs> I said, "What did you go? Did you go? Did you go pay respects to the queen?" But he he had he hanging out with them Caribbean and continental African Negroes in Brixton, so <laughs> I don't think he. I don't think they go into Buckingham Palace. We talked about that last week, but I can't take him to get. Okay, here we go. Here's everybody. What's All up, right. y'all? I think we broke the. Did you break the company, Professor Hunter? They, <laughs> but it, it got fixed. It got fixed. You know, you know how we, the Nubians do. We we gonna come in. We gonna we gonna do what we do with excellence, and then I mean uh, the numbers just keep shut down. Shut down the daggone uh, back end. They had to bring their engineers in to fix it, and uh, but it's all it's all good now. It's all good. We live. We are live. Good everything. Everything. That is another. You just be. You just be. Uh, what did uh, De La Soul said? Every word I say should be a hip hop quotable. <laughs> that one there, good everything. You got to add that to the Karen Hunter list. That's a great phrase. Yeah. In fact, we might need because it is truly everything. I'm looking. People are all over the world. Let me I'm tell like, you. So last, last night, um, Dr. Tasha Austin, who I met in office hours, who came in as she was getting. Oh, know, I remember. Of course. Of course. PhD, right? So I was like, oh, this woman's brilliant. Brought her on my radio show. Yeah, you so talked to her. You talked to her on, on the show on Sirius. Yeah. So she submitted a plan, a proposal to do, because she does a podcast talking about languages, right? And I was like, well, let's bring it to Nubia. So last night we had our first session. And um, so, it, you know, when we talk about bringing a brick, you know, it's it was amazing. A couple hundred people in having this you know, conversation that folk didn't know we were going to have. And then there's another Nubian sister that she didn't know was a Nubian who's a language expert in England. So it was like 1130 at night there. And it was just like, this place is magic um, in terms of the freeing. And we're having conversations around, you know, being free to express ourselves wherever we are in the world because we're all connected and um, and just going working through that. But, you know, to your point in Brixton, there's, there was a sister last night who was uh, a guest who's going to come back because the time got um, short for us. But uh, we, we launched a new series last night in Nubia. So uh, conversation. And look, another one. Yeah, I ran into another a brother one. yesterday where I was posted up and I can't, well, I can't go anywhere. You know, I was posted up way out in the the, the 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 country in Maryland posted up man I went and got a cup of coffee and I ran to this brother named Raynard told me to tell you hello he born and raised in Baltimore City um he was saying you know 
I mean, thank y'all because he, uh, his guidance counselors in high school tried to send him to the military. He wouldn't do it. He ended up going out to LA spending years. He's in real estate. So he came back here. He said, I missed all of the education that I needed. He said, but for the last two and a half years, the education that I missed, I'm getting. He said, I can't thank you all enough. And I just want you to know for my wife, for my children. I mean, we, we talked for about 20 minutes. We were talking all about everything because 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 he's in real estate. I was asking him about the politics of gentrification, not only in Baltimore, but the situation in Jackson and all that. He was just walking me through how they do this. But he it started with, man, I just I, please tell Karen. I said, of course, I'm going to tell her. So to you what you're observing, this is because, because I, you know, I was reading something somebody wrote about the great uh, scholar Cedric Robinson. And one of the things they said was Robinson would not ever, uh, he deliberately avoided mapping out like an ideological position on politics to direct people what to do. He said, no, the most important thing to do is for us to be in community and think together, study, have conversations. And then as people find what we need to do, we contribute that. But rather than say, this is the plan, this is the plan, this is the plan. Right, right. What we're doing, people say, what are we going to do? Well, we're doing it. There's, there really are very few. In fact, I'll be quite frank with you, Prof. I'm not aware of any other place that is consistently. I mean, at this point, there's something going on every day in Nubia and the narrative with this huge archive and place for people to have conversations. And then here we are on the weekends like a metronome. We're in the 130s now. Continue, And people are really you know, that last week's conversation, I i don't know, I probably ran into a dozen people between last Saturday and today who are like, you know, not only catharsis, again, another another quotable. That word was perfectly placed because it's not just giving a, a feeling, but it's also, okay, I'm not wrong. Okay, I'm not wrong. Okay, good. I needed that fuel. <laughs> and so I just... Mm. It is, Um, we had a... a uh one of our Nubians who is sending her, her baby off to college and, you know, encouraging her. Well, actually she said, I forced her to take an African studies class. And, oh. and I was like, you know, I just remember being 18 and, um, you know, thinking I was conscious, but you know, my consciousness really was awakened two and a half years ago, sitting in community with you to a level where I can never go back and I can't, everything is now through a lens like, I think if I watch Black Panther now, I might have some problems with it. So, like... Well, yeah, but, and, and still embrace it. That's the key. Yeah, well, so let's... Can we're, we not dog, we're not dogmatic. <laughs> the thing. Yeah. People want you to be dogmatic. I'm like, okay, so you you and them three people together, y'all right and everybody wrong. No problem. Now, how do it free us? As Sonia Sanchez said, because I've yeah. seen Sister Sonia sit with some cats who I know she didn't agree with philosophically, but that love is what kept her in the room. Yeah, we're not dogmatic. Yeah, we can watch Black Panther and have problems with it. Yes. I was just talking with you about that, you know, the ability to work with people who are going to get things done, even if you don't, you know, necessarily respect how they move in the world. That has to be due north, like, because the goal is freedom for everybody. Uh, but I bought tickets to um, the Women King, the Woman King, um, and I was, I'm, I'm, you know, I remember you mentioning it when the first trailers came out. And I was like, am I going to have a problem with this now that I know too much? Like, when you know what you know. Mm-hmm. Like it, you're responsible for what you know, right? There's a boycott uh, plan. I guess somebody's trying to boycott it. Um, I'm not on that train at all. 
Um, I, I bought more than one ticket. I bought a bunch of tickets because I want to sit around people. So, you know, I, I bought tickets all around me. Interesting strategy. So when you do that, you ain't got to worry about nobody being around you. Don't be coughing around me. Just, you know. Do you have, do you have, uh, Whole places in the theater to sit. Oh yeah, no, you get to pick your seat. Yeah, I mean, but in terms of proximity, like some people say they want to sit two thirds of the way up because that's where the mix they mix the sound for. And oh, I don't care. No, I'm usually the back row of the first. You know, like they have like two levels, so I'm usually the back row on the end because you know if something go down, I need to be able to. And I'm always looking for that. I'm like, I ain't gonna trap me in the middle of nothing. Like I I will not. Be on the end, no question. Yes. Out. Okay. Yeah. I usually sit in the front. I mean, the screen and then me. Oh, because, okay. Because so, yeah, because, you because I, 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 yeah, sometimes, but I can't stand noise. See, so when I'm reading, when I'm thinking, I don't want nothing. Maybe some John Coltrane, maybe some. So when I watch the movie, what I can't stand is, oh, this is what that. But if you the screen, then you, you can't hear nothing. <laughs> For no. You, you and the, ain't nobody in there but you, and so I'll I'll deal with the this. So anyway, you bought you bought out, so you can now sit here and experience this. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I'm and actually got to move in a kind of quiet way. So okay. So now what? What? What do you think? You you. I'm you worried asking, about. <laughs> I'm not worried about anything. I'm I'm gonna enjoy the way I enjoy Django and and uh, Tarantino's problematic ass. I'm gonna enjoy the enjoy everything else. Well, I, I find it like weird that the people that have a problem with this didn't have a problem with those same Dahomey warriors who were the Dora Milaje, uh, right? I mean, that was yeah, the same yeah. the same group of women that were in Black Panther. You had no problem with them there, but you have a problem with them here in a fictional depiction of the Dahomey warriors. But well, yeah. there's only one book I'm aware of that talks of it's Amazons of Black Sparta. And I think my copy's in storage. Stanley... Uh, Please mean name may be Alfred, but I mean we got Nubians who I know that um, somebody gonna jump on this and give us the title. But Cat you know. writes at the beginning that this is the only documented uh, record of quote unquote Amazons in history is these black Amazons, and of course I reject the trying to diminish them by calling them Amazons. Um, in fact, I was looking at this book, African Kings, which is a very uh, kind of you know photo essay book, ten piece deep. Right? But hold it up again. It's called African Kings. Uh, Daniel Lane. It's a, a bunch of uh, photographs of mostly men. There are a couple of sisters in here as well, though. And I must uh, stop to mention um, Mojaji the Fifth, the Rain Queen in Southern Africa, because she does not marry men. She marries women, and the women can be married to men so that she can increase and strengthen her uh, her the administrative affairs of state that she's in charge of. But, uh, you know, I'm sure that, uh, again, our gender constructs in Africana, certainly pre-invasion Africa, don't fit the West. So they was, oh, it's a queer. Well, you can take queer and stack that over there with Amazon and stack it over them other labels where you're trying to label us. We, to use uh, Duke Ellington's word, we're beyond category. But I just wanted, I'm only mentioning it in passing because all of the photographs in here, and I, and I bought this for the photographs. I mean, just king after king, ruler after ruler. I'll just give you one more. Um, um, here is um, Oshetel Ado Danqua III, who is not the, the the primary king of the Ashantis. He's king of one of the regions. And you see all that dookie gold right there. You know, mm. the, star, the star of Africa, the largest diamond 
cut diamond in the world discovered to date is in the scepter of the British monarchy. But uh, all that stuff, African, Indian, the rubies, all that. So this gold is dookie gold. Yeah, I call it dookie because it's so thick. But anyway, I'm not going to go into this. This is a picture actually taken of the actual women who were part of the military of Dahomey. So that's actually an actual picture of the sisters, some of the sisters who uh, the woman king is now going to create kind of uh, factional, fictional kind of print. So that's some of them there to your point. I just wanted to, you know, show people that made, made me think about it. So go ahead. So people got a problem, right? Dora Malaji not real. Those sisters right there are real. That's literally a photograph of them. And now we got a, yeah, so we, you know, when the American Negro been run them up, you know, led astray, hoodwink, bamboo. So of course they're going to have a problem even in the, in the same sentence, they're going to disagree with themselves. That's what confusion does. Well, I mean, the issue that I think that they're having is that the Dahomey uh, kingdom, were, they were responsible for selling Africans into bondage, I think, in Portuguese, Portugal. So, you know, we shouldn't support. Um, well, honestly, they don't know enough about it to talk about it intelligently. I mean, at some point, my patience runs out. I'm saying I could make that argument for them better than they can, and I wouldn't make it. So when they okay. get up, they sold us into slavery. My first thing is, who is they? Who is they, brother? No, 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 no. Be quiet. Who is they? Be very specific. I want the dates. I want the transaction. And I want the cultural context. Then I, 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 I yeah. So get with your Twitter fingers. And I'm talking about the descendants of slaves because I'm myself and no, I'm not a descendant of slaves. Um, and everyone who's got a problem with this and the black people sold black people into slavery, I'm here for all of it. Let's talk. Come on in office hours. Come on in. Let's talk specifically, though. Let's not play with these hand puppet vagaries and generalities because your miseducation is showing. <laughs> so anyway, but go, go ahead. So I'm here for all of it. We can make that argument better. Yeah. Continue. Continue. No, 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 no. No, look, you can't. Look, look, look. No, 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 no. No, I just, I mean, because I don't think, and there's no need, there's no need for us to get into this because we've talked about it fairly extensively. And perhaps we need to spend some time. But for those who say that black people sold black people into slavery rather than be antagonistic and take what would ostensibly be an opposite position, I would say we should do what we've been doing here, which is usually a space reserved for academics. And as we said before, we're going to, we're jailbreaking that. If you have eyes and you have friends and you have community, then we can all study together and have conversations. And if you're serious about this black people, so black people in the savory business, there are bookshelves, there are libraries, of studies on the specifics of how this thing ended up with us over here speaking English. So if you want to read uh, Myers and Capital Slavery in Africa, I remember I taught a comparative slavery class at Howard, maybe about 10, 15 years ago. And in the course of that conversation, folk began to realize the very obvious thing. Context matters. So rather than listen to somebody who is speaking authoritatively, and the first, the first, the first, the first clue you should probably, uh, we should probably gain when we hear um, somebody who is saying things like that, the first clue we should gain as to that they probably don't know enough to have a conversation in a way that's helpful is when they're speaking authoritatively. <laughs> I'm bored going that because so really. So I know just enough to know you can't speak authoritatively about that. So if you're speaking authoritatively, you either know better and are doing being dis, uh, deliberately uh, deceitful or, and I think this is almost always the case, don't know enough to talk about it. Because, you know, it's just, it, and, and it's very difficult. 
Okay. Well, I'm going tomorrow to watch it and I'll let you know whether I liked it. Uh, but I know you have transformed how I view everything, including documentaries and how I read books and how I interview people. I had um, <laughs> had somebody on my show Oh, last week before last, um, and we didn't talk about him, but I know you've talked about him and I forgot that you talked about him, but I'm not even going to mention his name because I ripped his behind open on the air. I mean, if you're on the air in public, you might well say it here. A million people already heard Professor Hunter. I mean, you know, it is the hottest show in the universe and that is not braggadocio. I mean, people all the time. <laughs> We was long lost friends and say, I love what y'all doing. And I listen to Karen Hunter every day. I'm like, sis, you all right? We all right? Because you were breaking my three ribs. I ain't mad at her. I'm just So you might well name the name the world know anyway. <laughs> and, I, and I didn't, I purposely didn't post a video because it was that bad. Oh, Afterwards, really? I felt, yeah, I felt sorry for him because what I asked him, I said, so you just want to sell books. You're not really trying to inform us you just want to sell books like who's this book for is it for black people or is the like who like and it, and he started to filibuster once once people start to filibuster and just talk yeah and the audience but what's crazy is the audience is like oh oh he just mm, like it was bad it was really bad so you know, I don't, I don't invite people on to, 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 you know, to expose them. It's not ever my, no, it's not my I really want to have a conversation, but once I realized that he was not prepared to have this conversation, but his whole book, his whole like career, and he's got like six books is based on his authority in this, that in five minutes got completely destroyed because of you, because no, now I, I have, I never have back questions now. It's different. It's different. You know what we say, say it with your chest. Child, it was bad. So I was like, just, that's just hard. Say, say what you want. I mean, I, I mean, I'll give you a quick example. I'll give you a name, Ibram Kendi, my friend Ibram Kendi. He doing anti-racist work. My thing is, go ahead, brother. But you got to say it with your chest now. Don't turn around, come into the governance space, and start talking about how black people can be racist too, and not expect to be engaged. That's all we ask. Let's have a conversation. Now, if you're going to speak that way, you should. Stand in what you say and don't close yourself off for conversation. I'll give you another quick example. Uh, Henry Louis Gates uh, was emceeing. Uh, there's a foundation that gives awards, uh, recognizes authors. And one of the awards they gave last week was to Ishmael Reed. Ishmael Reed has roasted Henry Louis Gates over the years for being, you know, all kind of things, you know, spokesperson for this white liberal kind of establishment, the, the chosen Negro. But Gates has never not acknowledged that. At the same time, he can't get around Ishmael Reed. And Ishmael Reed, like a metronome, he's going to be the same everywhere. He roasted Lin-Manuel Miranda. But it's not personal because what you're defending is a genealogy, this kind of thing. So if you want to go out there and put George Washington and James Madison and Thomas Jefferson, Alexander Hamilton in black and brown face, expect that some folk are going to have a problem with that who know more about it and who know that people are going to look to you before they look or listen beyond you. So if you're going to do it, and I respect Lin-Manuel Miranda and, and, and Henry Louis Gates and anybody else, if you say it with your chest, but don't close yourself off for those people who are saying, I got a question, particularly when they're coming not to get you, but because it's a lot of black people in the ground because of Alexander Hamilton and them. We have an obligation to have a conversation, you know. But to open yourself up to that would, would defund your situation. 
because now you have to Ooh. you have to defend it, right? And if your whole economy is based on this myth that you have perpetuated or this myth that you have created or or participated in, then you you know you're basically undermining your the, the next million dollar billion dollar whatever the next check right and so we are you know it's a capitalist society you know people people like their coin dr carr mm -hmm. and if if the white folk are giving you coin and patting you on the head and 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 give you more coin and more access and more opportunities and more and more and more are you going to say everything i just did was wrong i mean i would personally because i want i'd rather be right than be rich so let me just say that with my full chest I'd rather be right than be rich, meaning right for humanity. I'd rather be the person that would, you know, make, you know, I'll turn this in so that everyone eats. I'm that person. But I realize that that is rare because I'm always expecting other people and I look around and I'm like, oh, I'm out here by myself. All right. <laughs> okay. Okay. Like y'all, oh, y'all, you know, this is wrong, but you're still doing it because the check is good, right? You know, it's wrong though. You know, it's harmful, but you're still doing it. So when you've been corrected, and you keep doing it, then I know that it's about the check. I don't know what you do about that. And so, you know, like we were talking off mic about, you know, the sister that, you know, said what she said about the queen. You know, she said, I heard the, the chief, this got taken down from Twitter. So I'm going to read it. Uh, <laughs> I heard the chief monarch of a thieving, raping, genocidal empire is finally dying. May her pain be excruciating. That violated Twitter's, um, I guess, uh, what, what Twitter rules, whatever they call it. <laughs> Right. So that was uh, Professor Uju Anya. We talked about her a little bit last week. We did. But she could have lost her career, right? She could have lost her career. Maybe it could have escalated to a point where somebody, you know, like she said what she said. And then she said more. She kept saying stuff. And, and, and people came and surrounded her and said, don't touch her. Because she, you know, we as we talked about last week, I mean, she's Nigerian, she's Igbo, she, and she is not alone. She's not even in the minority. So when it, when people decided they're going to get her up out the paint because of this old white woman, uh, people were like, oh, word, this is it. We on, we, it, it's on. And what people realize is that most people don't say things publicly. But when someone does and speaks in a way that resonates, again, this is why, those many years we fought and struggled to try to think through what eventually found their way into this Africana studies framework. That's why it was important to have at least another framework for being allowed for us, for us to see ourselves in our full humanity. She gave that tweet to the social structure and the social structure always thinks it can govern the lives of those who have to live in it. The quote unquote real world to use the parlance of, parents who tell their children not to go to historically black colleges because it won't train you for the real world although now that has reversed but um somewhat but in the governance category that's not even a controversial statement that's not a controversial statement in beauty parlors and barbershops on street corners church benches on the on on the that's not even a controversial statement the problem was it was said in the social structure and so as you say the people who are making money there are some who believe it and there are some who have been rewarded because they are true believers. I think of Clarence Thomas and Thomas Sowell, for example, but maybe John McWhorter. And I, mean, I don't mind naming names because, again, come on in the conversation because those people don't stop being black. It's just that 
who you are to other people takes precedent when they have agendas that you serve. And it just so happens they are true believers. There are many others who we know are cynics who say one thing uh, when, so they can get on, uh, get under the key lights and the bright, bright platforms. And then when they're at home or family reunion or the backyard barbecue, it's like, really? So this is a show, huh? But here's the problem we have, of course, and we've discovered this prop over the last two and a half years. We've experienced something that hopefully humanity will never experience again, although we know it will. We went through a global pandemic that for the first time in human history, at least memory, shut down the world at a time when the world could still communicate with each other. See, before when you have a global pandemic and it shuts down, we didn't have the technology to continue. Everybody went home. And for week after week after week after week, rather than us just set up what most of these kind of shows do, which is an interview schedule where we roasting people. No, we acknowledge everybody's humanity and we keep trying to pour the cleanest glass of water possible. And now that the world, now that, you know, the social structure, capitalism has opened back up and trying to get people to come back to work. Why? Because we done bought all this real estate. We done paid all this rent. We got all you out of this gram. And then people are starting to get sucked back into that. That hard reset moment has not only lingered, it has reset for a lot of people what the standard is. So all those folks who were check chasing have now an additional problem. The first problem was it was already fracturing. The major networks, people not watching cable, people cutting the cord. Movies, can I watch this at my house? Movies, hell, I can make a movie with this iPhone. It was already fracturing. Then COVID came and restructured everything. You know, I mean, hey, let's get it in. You know, my D nice is like shit. I'm about to lose my check, man. I used to DJ, press play. Now you got verses, and that's kind of thing, man. People and verses is about back catalogs. You got people, oh man, I didn't, I forgot about. Then you get us. You said, can I press record? And here we are, two and a half years later, with an entirely separate platform, learning platform. People are coming to, pouring into, and here we are, week after week after week. And guess what? Now when you go on CNN. Now, when you get that book contract, now when you go out and be a consultant for a documentary at HBO, people are like, yeah, switch. Now they listen to us and it's like, you can't, you couldn't capture that audience before COVID. COVID accelerated the trend. So the first thing was the technology. The second thing was COVID that accelerated the trend. And here we are on the other side of, we're in an endemic phase. And what we're doing, it's not because we're so great. It's because we will speak to each other and build community, pouring clean glasses of water. And rather than just sit up and roast other people, it's like, no, 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 this is a governance space. Come on in. Oh, wait, you don't believe that? Well, then say it. Say it with your chest. It's okay. Let's have a conversation. Yes. And we ain't afraid of it. So, again, I can't thank you enough because that's what you were doing already. That's yeah. what you were doing. Serious. Yeah. Stuff. <laughs> but anyway, so. No, no, no. Talking with Dr. Tasha last night, you know, I asked this question about because the, the, the Nubian whose daughter is now in college, I'm like, do we teach our children to code switch? And then as I was asking the question, I was like, why? Why, do we, why would we do that when showing up as our full selves, which I demand of my students, hmm. is the way forward? Even in journalism, you being fully who you are gives us perspectives that we wouldn't have. I don't need you to follow a rubric or a metric. And it's like, it's making me completely rip up how I teach because mm. the journalism that we need now is culture centric. 
I need to know what's going on in your home, you know, of Malaysia or Rwanda or Ethiopia. I need to know through your lens, through your people, your ability to talk to your people, what's happening on them streets. Just like we were able to hear from our sister Uju and um, Uju about, you know, how she felt about the monarchy based on her experience. That's a level of journalism that we wouldn't get in a um, in the way in which I was taught, right? In the, in the way in which the books teach. Uh, how to do this. And so I was like, it's important that you show up as your full self because that is your superpower. Now, are we in a place, Dr. Carr, where the social structure can be shredded and ripped up and eliminated? Do Why do we need a social structure anymore? Why do we need to be who we are to other people? You know, let, can I share something? Um, I'm just, just a little... Are you kidding? This is the, this is why we are together every weekend now for what 132 or we 132? 132? Come on, we can't do crazy. Right, Come on. Uh oh, here it is. Okay, I'm gonna share this. I'm gonna share my screen. I hope I, I'm gonna watch it again. Well, let's start off with you guys. Make it big. Uh, I'm so excited. And Kiki. Uh, oh, since oh, 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 since oh, you are the oh. host, are you gonna play or are you gonna pass? Honey, I'm blue. Okay. 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 I'm ready. Are you ready to take okay. the ready, Kiki? I'm ready. I'm gonna put it like this. You're real talkative. You're real. Talkative. <laughs> Just put it. I'm gonna put it like this. Rose. Rose. Oh, oh, see, I don't wanna get it wrong, but I think it's. Rose. Oh my gosh, please. Think I'm gonna get it wrong. No, you can't. Okay, one more time. Rose. <laughs> this is hard. harder than you think. Huh? It's Rose. <laughs> it's hard. You. Mm -mm. Mm. <laughs> Listen, there's a lot of black conversation happening <laughs> in the eyes. But I'm about to let my sister down. No, well, you're not. Because right, here we go. I'm, I'm, I hate myself. No, you Just say it. Just say it. Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> so we can play. Okay, hold on. Wait, wait. What did I do? Did I let it go? I let it go. All right. All right. What okay. did you see there, bro? First of all, hi, good morning, Yvette Nicole Brown, my sister, and uh, happy belated birthday, Kiki Palmer, Virgo season. Love her. No uh, <laughs> everything that we've been talking about with your avocado framework in that moment, again, the social structure is gone. The white folk were confused. They had no idea what was going on. And, and fighting desperately to get in based on what they think they know about black people. Right. Jimmy Fallon tried his best to invade quickly. Yeah, and, then, and, then, and, then, and the black one and the white girl was like, "Ladies, meaning what? I kind of know, but I don't know." Then the white one on the end was like, "Let me get in with the girlfriend next." Y'all can't get in this because she got that in the first five seconds. You saw that she did. She didn't. She was like, "Could we? Are we being this black right now? Is this like exactly. I, I can't trust myself?" You no, this she trusted herself. She just didn't. It was so obvious. She didn't want to expose. It was weird because I, I was tweeting. I was like, imagine if we all leaned into because I was like 400 years of the forced way in which we had to communicate with one another. Talk to us. 
forced way in which we had to be able to express so much of what was happening through torture or what have you. Even if we were making plans to get away, we couldn't talk about it. Talk to us. But we had to figure out how to communicate. Took away our oh, drums and all that, right? Hold on. Let me, uh, the the, uh, the latest, uh, well, not the latest, because now there's another Friday night session. But one of the latest innovations in Nubia, of course, and thank you so much. You know, I'm a hoodie. Nubia yeah. and refill. Yes. Come on, there boys. we go. There we go. You, that could be a Nubia and refill. Let's 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 play. Let's play right now because of those of you who are watching this later on YouTube, I'm sure the comments gonna fill up as well. But we are live in Nubia right now. So, Prof, let's play a little game. Can you play it again? I can. Hold on. Let me. Uh, yeah, let's play it again. Let's take, let's take a little time here. Y'all understand? If you're not yet in Nubia, maybe we'll come back at office hours with this. All right, now. All right. If you go back. All right. Now let's play the game, right? We're, we're doing a live session. Uh, Kiki, those of you who are not yet, are you Yeah, pause it right there. That's good. That's good. That's in fact that's perfect right there because there's the social structure. So we're playing. Those of you who are not yet in Nubia, we are live in Nubia. So I'm gonna look in the chat and we're gonna play a little five-minute session of Nubia and Refill, where we look. We experience something together, usually media, maybe film, something like that. And then in the chat and in the comments, we're all there. Now we we up over a thousand now and growing. So that's you, that's nothing for us. I mean, you know, those of you like, how many people? How many people? Nah, no, don't even worry about that. We broke the down damn company. They had to get the ticker back. <laughs> now I see it's working again because we up over a thousand and growing every second. So all right, let's play this together, Professor Hunter. Now, when you press play. Let's go now. If if I ask you to pause, can you pause? Pre play and pause. Can you do that quickly? Oh, you muted. I muted myself so I can pull up the the, the chat too. Oh yeah, yeah I got. You. We do okay. a lot of things. All right, yes, I can. I can play. Press All right, pause. Here, let, 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 let's go. Okay, so go ahead and play. So this is password, which Kiki Palmer actually hosts. She decided to sit in a chair, replace Jimmy Fallon. He's not the host. She's the host. But she wanted to sit with Yvette Nicole Brown for this particular one. All right, you ready? Thank you. I did not know that. Yes, thank you. That's good. Okay. Password is not a new show, is it? It is not. It's a re, it's a re, a re remix of the old Password. Right. So uh, this is interesting. Let's just pause. Let me, let's sit with this for a minute. Y'all, y'all forgive us because we two college professors and we have jailbroken the university. So this is something that would be a delightful thing for us to do normally with like 10 or 15 or 20 or 100 students. But we're now we get to do with the world. Um, just like they have, they're remaking The Little Mermaid. What a social structure does is attempt to retain its hierarchy and power at moments when it's on the verge of collapse by inviting in those who are no longer paying attention. Password, like the $64,000 question, like The Price is Right, like so many other game shows which were put on the air in the 1940s and 50s, actually before that on radio, because women who were not in the workforce, I'm sorry, white women who were not, because black women ain't never not worked since we got pulled into this criminal enterprise. In fact, we were doing those white women's clothes. This is the origin of the soap opera, for example. We started as 10, 15, 20 minute vignettes in the 30s and 40s, then moved to television. The game show was something that was put in place so that people who were at home, chiefly women, would 
uh, have something to occupy their time. And also very strategically, those game shows were linked to cash prizes and also prizes like appliances, prizes like trips and things like that, because these women, basically capitalist slaves in the house were really the, the really enslaved with a black woman doing the work. But the white women, you know, you know, here's a washer and dryer. Why are you selling washers and dryers? Because the people, this is all a commercial, you understand? And so the game was the lure for the commercial because you're giving away stuff you want other people to buy or save up their money and buy, put on credit, this kind of thing. All right, now, well, that world is gone. Kiki Palmer hosts Password because the people Kiki Palmer comes from no longer watching your shows. And understand that Jimmy Fallon, of course, who I don't know and probably would never meet, has adapted and adopted probably because like everything else African people create, it attracts the world. And because it's also good marketing skills, this kind of relationship with people of African descent that gives him, as Dr. John Henry Clark used to say, was a compliment during the uh, 15th and 14th, 13th and 12th centuries when Africans and Arabs were in the Iberian Peninsula known as the Moors, has given Jimmy Fallon a touch of the Moor. Dr. Clark, you say, so if you were in Europe and you could claim that you descended from the Moors, that was a credit in medieval Europe. Oh, you have a touch of the Moor. A touch of the black. Jimmy Fallon, part of his lure is you have all a touch of the more. So you're going to see that touch of the more play itself. Go, go ahead, Professor. I'm sorry. I'm, getting, I'm, I'm just getting, just thinking about this. <laughs> Let's watch this together. <laughs> you just made this publicly. I absolutely love you so much. Oh, my God. Okay. All right. You ready? Right. Yeah. Yes. I'm ready. Are you ready? Put it like this. You're real talking. You're real. Just put it like this. Rose. Rose. Stop. What did she just say right here? Come on. Come on, y'all. We in the chat. What did she just say? I heard the word rose, but we got to think inflection and we got to think I'm because again, like any African language, it's tonal. And it's also not just what comes out of your mouth. The text there. Now we're in our African states framework. We're going through two categories. One, ways of knowing. In other words, what? how are ways that African people understand reality, communicate their understanding of reality to each other in the world? Ways of knowing. The other category, cultural meaning making. Language is a form of cultural meaning making. So there's a text being produced. Oh, and one other category, movement and memory. See, when you say it like that, well, let's see what people are saying. Yes, Girl. and somebody compared her to uh, Arsenio Hall. Like, what's the difference between him, you know, hosting something and, and Kiki Palmer, social structure, governance structure? Uh, let me go through as well. Well, you know, go back to what you said uh, uh, earlier about people worried about that check. Uh, the, the novelty of an Arsenio Hall, of course, was that he was demonstrating, he was showcasing bits of governance and, and he couldn't really calibrate the tension between bits of governance that you show and a stray off into a social structure minstrelsy. It was a, it was a tightrope he was walking, but then he canceled himself when he invited Minister Louis Farrakhan onto his show. Because see, in, in social structure company, black people can't admit that they uh, agree with a lot of what Louis Farrakhan says, and they can't admit that they go see Louis Farrakhan. But it's been my experience every time I've seen the minister, and I've met the minister, had a conversation with him, his wife, Khadija, uh, uh, Sister Ava, who was his attorney when I was in law school. We invited her to speak at the Black Law Students Banquet, and the white law students at Ohio State lost their minds, and we were like, well, you better go find them, because Ava Muhammad is coming. 
And so uh, her daughter is finishing up at Howard right now, one of a long line of members of the Nation of Islam who have sent their children to go to HBCUs. Many of them, of course, we know that uh, Minister Farrakhan himself went to uh, HBC. But I'm saying black people can't say that in, in mixed company. So when Lucinio Hall invited Minister Farrakhan onto his show, he gave too much of the governance structure to the social structure, and they like, oh, we got to pull this. So yeah, the difference being, I think Kiki Palmer and her generation and, and has learned, <laughs> you know, politically. You know what I'm saying? It wouldn't surprise me to see any black entertainer or performer at a Louis Farrakhan speech. Now, what would surprise me is the ones who would let somebody take their picture. Because remind you, or this will remind you that the 44th president of the United States had a picture with Louis Farrakhan because he lived around the corner. Those of you who know Chicago, Hyde Park, y'all know up from University of Chicago, you go to the Nation of Islam house, Elijah Muhammad house, the Elijah Muhammad house across the street is the one Farrakhan lived in around the corner, Barack Obama house, Jesse Jackson house, they all live in the same neighborhood, is right there. And it wasn't nothing for Barack Obama to have his picture taken with uh, Minister Farrakhan until he ran for president. Right. Then he had and to that's to our brother Jeremiah Wright under the bus, for which he don't have to be forgiven. I don't know him. Uh, Jeremiah Wright is bigger than that. And so therefore, Baba J say, okay, no problem. I ain't got no problem with it. But I ain't never got to forget the chocolate wonder because I ain't got to forgive him either. He's president of the United States, not the president of black people. We get confused. That's, uh, <laughs> this generation could give a F. I think Kiki Palmer would take a picture. I've seen Stephanie, uh, Stephanie Mills, uh, because you know she's heavy, heavy, heavy supporter of no the question. nation. Stephanie Mills could give a f. Uh, what you think? And this is why I think the social structure is is you know it is you know totally dissolving in front of it. Maybe totally dissolve. I mean, I, I won't get too deep into it because because uh, you, we we could show that one again if we did a Nubian refill on Shirley Roth. A good daughter of the Caribbean by way of it. But but what I'm saying is her husband, Vincent Hughes, state senator Hughes in Pennsylvania. I remember when they had the Million Man March and the minister came through Philly and we was all there. The police chief, Sylvester Johnson, black police chief was there. Senator Hughes. So y'all be thinking y'all know black people because you see them on TV. That's the social structure. What we watch it right now is a glimpse of who we are to each other. So anyway, anyway so yeah. So in that moment, what is she doing, y'all? What does she say? Do y'all <laughs> Let me see. Let me see. I'm gonna tell you. Uh, she said that heifer is Kiki. Is what Kiki saying? That heifer, Rose. Come on that now. Heifer. Come on. That heifer. That heifer. She on. said, "Girl, you know what it is, girl. You, girl, you know what it is." Deborah said, "That heifer is what Kiki saying." Uh, Teresa saying, "Listen to me, girl. Listen, Rose. Exactly. <laughs> all of all of that. She said, Rose first. With a little bit of a drawn out, in other words, to anchor. I ain't talking about no regular rose. I ain't talking about a stem of a flower. I'm not rose. And then she backed up. Let's do it again. And then she went forward. The backup first was exactly what you just said. That helpful. Yeah. And then the lean forward was don't think about it. We talking. This is another. In other words, you you out of you know what you did. Yeah. Me, me, me. Put, tune out, Jimmy. Tune out the game. Let's focus like we sitting under them dryers with our getting our hair did. And with immediately everybody in the, in the beauty part would be like, yeah, that happened. Man. It wouldn't have been that, just the name. So let's do it you know, one more time. You backed it up. Perfect. Let's do it. Let's do it. Like like this. This. Rose. Rose. There. Don't think about it. Come on, girl. Now watch this. Right. right. Now what? Now these two right here, social structure. Now watch. 
Oh, see, she knew it immediately when she, she knew said it right there. And then she's like, Oh, I can't. Wrong, but I think it's. Yeah, Road. I think it's right. right. And, and look, 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 look. Back, back up a little bit. Okay. He purses her lips and pulls back like, It's okay. It's, it's, it's just us, but this one's okay. This this is not us talking about something that we all know and don't need to say right here. This one's okay. It's okay. Girl, look, look, look right there. What's that? What's that look? What's that look? Which the one? This look, one? What she looked like. Rose. Right there. Right before it went to them. Right there. What's she saying there? Come on now. Right. Stop okay. playing with me. Stop playing. Stop playing. Look, now, people are like, how are they reading all this into? We're not reading into it. It is a language. You cannot look at the languages of Africa. Just because we had to learn English or French or Spanish or Dutch or Portuguese don't mean we left our Congo, left our Yoruba, left our Efik, left our Igbo or Ibibio, left our Wolof. We took what Robert Williams and them, we talked about this a lot. That's why they coined the term ebony phonics. They said it is black sounds. So, and it's not just black sounds, it's black sights. It's black. That's why you have to have an Africana studies framework because see what the linguists will come in and then Henry Louis Gates and them get a contract and do a, a Oxford companion to Ebonics. What they would do is try to translate this. You can't train, you can translate, but you must understand that that's what you're doing is translating. There's a whole, there's a whole, and this is why the, um, and going to Dr. Beatty in the Metanetra class, when you study the Egyptian hieroglyphs, they say, well, the Egyptians didn't really have a script-based system. They're the foundation. He say, hold on, y'all. You think of written language as a script-based language, uh, A, B, C, D, E, F, G language. Those are symbols that are markers for sound. But what you have to understand is with these Africana roots, this is why, why y'all study ancient Egypt. You understand that what you would call pictograms, what you would call ideograms in, in, in grammar or language, when you people who study hieroglyphs would know all this language, you are attempting to reconcile the way your worldviews, your ways of knowing, your cultural meaning making. You're trying to reconcile that by projecting it backward into other people's context. The reason we know the people of Kemet were Africans is because of everything that's about their culture, not the skin color. Let's not even get caught up in a skin color. When you have the word medu for speech, medu isn't just what you say. It is how you communicate. The picture for it is literally a staff. In other words, those who speak have authority because of what they know. And that staff, of course, representing, among other things, elderhood or experience. But let's go back. Let's go back to the. Uh... OK, I'm just going in the chat. Uh, Kelly Bree was like, let me put it this way. You remember what happened the other day? You know, all of this body language communication is what we're seeing going on. That uh, someone said that hoe rose. <laughs> right. You That's know. what you said. At the very first rose. Talking about. I'm not talking about the rose of flower. I'm talking nope. in that moment. It's a human. But you know, she's talking about a particular woman. Yes. And this is the movement of memory because when you say that hoe or that said that movement, the movement of memory category, the six categories we have, right? Movement and memory. That asks the question, how did or do African people mark a historical experience in how they produce culture? What 
Kiki Palmer did in that moment, looking at the movement and memory question, she elicited the black interaction with the film Titanic. Rose Dow. In other words, everybody white missed it because they looking at the romance between these two white people, black people looking like that. She ain't no ride or die. Look, look at her. Come on now. She ain't 10 toes down. Let him die. <laughs> Let him die. No question. In other words, this is another conversation. So when she said that, that's movement and memory. She's going back to a film that white people didn't see. Because we came in there with it. We were watching the same movie, having different reactions. And if we had gone to Titanic, if you and I had been sitting in Titanic with a bunch of black people when it was on screen, them Negroes talking back to the screen, <laughs> she took her back to that moment in one word. And meanwhile, they over there clueless like, <laughs> and she caught it. She caught it as soon as we sitting here and said, oh. And then in the minute, like you said, the social structure came in her head. And she said, I'm on this set. I'm on this thing. I don't want to be embarrassed. I, she's like, and then and then Kiki Palmer backed up like, girl, stop playing. I got you got you. it. You got it. So let's, let's keep going. Let's see. What, oh, let's see. Let's see what it is saying now. Rose. Oh my gosh, please. Paul. Paul. The white girl is saying, what is the white girl saying, y'all? Oh my gosh, saying? ladies. What does that mean? Come on, y'all. What is happening? I don't understand. What? How? She's. I feel like she's totally confused. This is Chrissy um, Metz, I think it is from This Is Us. Yeah, and she's. She, she, watch right. Oh, the one with Sterling K. Brown. So I don't watch that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm also thinking she's saying, "You shut me out." In other words, this is white feminism. No. <laughs> oh my gosh, ladies! In other words, no, why would you go somewhere? Black women can go, but white women can't go. I want to go with you. I got a black cast on my show. I'm, I'm black. Can I be black? I mean, we're women. Oh my god, ladies! Oh, that's probably what. Oh my gosh, ladies! That's what it is. No, and also, this is frustrating <laughs> to me. This is these. This is how they talk when we are cut between scenes and they talk to each other. I'm getting to see it. Oh my gosh, ladies. In other words, there's a spectacle in front of me that I can't participate in and yet I'm attracted to. Oh my gosh, ladies. <laughs> in other words, I mean, I'm just saying, you know, again, I'm not interested in linguistics. I'm not interested in, in history or philosophy. I'm not trying to make the case for my humanity to white people, whether it be the pages of the New York Times or CNN or whatever they do in the Aspen or Davos. I'm talking about Africana. Who are we to each other? And in that moment, she previewed the social structure. Oh my gosh, ladies. Am I at the zoo or is this fascinating? I'm trying, I think maybe I can get in there and look at my man's over there with his body language, got his hands crossed. Defensive. White man don't know what to do. Who is he? He's scared. He's scared because he witnesses something that he doesn't understand and he's supposed to know everything because, you know, I'm a white man. That's right. That's the look on his face. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what's going on, but I'm going to fold my hands because I'm defensive because I don't feel comfortable right now. Exactly. That's mm. that. Even though that's a fashion statement he got on with that sweater, he got them four military stripes because, you know, that's all that phallocentrism that comes out of the patriarchy. Uh, you know, that's why they have stripes and tents and stuff on their shoulders and stuff in the military. That's so what that's about? That's, that's yeah, about the, the lack that they have, so they got to put it on their shirt. I don't gotta know put, that. Got to put it on their shirt. And of course, you know, then you think about, um, uh, remember when uh, uh, they tried, was it Trump? Who presided over the impeachment? It was, uh, no, no, it wasn't Trump. It was Clinton. Remember, oh yeah, Kenneth Starr 
went down uh, this yeah, week. Yeah, but yeah, uh, uh, William Rehnquist, remember Rehnquist had to preside. He came over to the to the legislature, to the federal legislature, to Congress in his black robe, and he had them stripes, which was people commented, "Oh, he's wearing this to show authority." Look, he got them stripes on for the same reason them stripes made it onto that boy's uh, uh, sleeve. In other words. I'm the white man. I'm in charge here. <laughs> so anyway, but I'm clearly not in charge here, which is why I'm looking like, yeah, I see what you winches are doing. There was a time I could have snuck down to the uh, cabin. Anyway, anyway, go, 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 go. Let's see. Let's go. Oh my God, ladies. <laughs> wait, wait, we got to get the double, the double neck. The double neck. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> go again, go again. Boom, boom. What is that, Dr. Carr? She's trying to put it in her right there. Come on, girl. Stop playing with me. No, no, you can't. Hey, okay, okay, you can't. Time. You can't get it wrong. She said you can't. You can't. You know, let me ask you, because uh, Kiki Palmer is not an older woman. She's yes, not of she a certain is. young. Yes. yes what's in the DNA? Well, I know we talk about epigenetics, and you know, but we, my goodness, my goodness, so not, not just Palmer energy. It, 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 epigenetics is absolutely a part. I can hear my friend now, Fatima Jackson, the, the biological anthropologist at, at Howard, who helped set up the first DNA bank in Africa and for many years uh, was the director of the Montague Cobb lab at Howard. And before that, at the University of North Carolina, then the University of Maryland, good Muslim sister, uh, helped uh, lead the genetic uh, part of the genetic uh, um, study that went along with the New York African burial ground. So, uh, but at any rate, Fatima would talk about epigenetics. Absolutely. That is not, that's not pseudoscience, so to speak. It's, it, it is a thing. Also, in terms of ways of knowing, it's a matter of culture. So age is one determinant of, of biolo biological age is one determinant of age, but also how much time did you spend around old folk? It's clear Kiki Palmer been around old black people. You know what I'm saying? So you got children, if they, if they go sit at their nana house, or they the one that doesn't have to leave the room, they pick up all of that. It's also culture. It's education. <laughs> this is what they say. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Say. yeah. I love it. Yeah, all right. Yeah, She's been here before. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. All right. And, and you don't hang around like, Larry Fishburne and Angela Bassett on a film set when you're 11, 12 years old and not pick up something. There's a lot of Angela Bassett in Kiki Palmer. You can almost see. You, know, you can see the actors she's been around, too. She does, she does a great impersonation, too, of Angela Bassett. Um, I guess so. Great. I mean... Let's see. All right. Rose. Rose. <laughs> now look at Jimmy trying to, you know, it's like um the other Jimmy Kimmel laying on the ground while Quinta Brunson is taking her, you know, getting her Emmy. Oh, no, no question. Well, it's Paul right. You, you paused it perfectly right there. Because yeah, he trying right? to get involved. Why are you getting involved in this? Mind your business. This don't got nothing to do with you. Well, so bad as my man Greg Tate, now an ancestor. And we talked about Greg Tate last year, whatever he made transition. As Greg Tate edit, wrote in his edited volume, everything but the burden. Jimmy Fallon want everything from black people but the burden. I want the roots. <laughs> I want to be in this conversation. Now, when the police pull up, I might even be the one to say, hey, leave him alone, which is an ally. But at that same time, you still can't be. So not only he's not going to, he's not got his hand up to encourage. He want to touch it. <laughs> let's, keep, <laughs> let's keep going. Does he touch it? Let's see. Okay, white man picked up on it. Now he wanna, you know, it's Rose. Right. Pass to him. 
Yeah, like, but he he thinks he's being funny because he doesn't even know what that means. No, he doesn't and, know what it means. So he's just and at the same time, remember, this will be a game, right? So why is he helping her? He couldn't right. even help himself. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? White man can't help himself though. It's hard. You, you, mm, 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 mm. Mm. Okay. Listen, there's, there's a lot of black. We're gonna go right before that. That was unnecessary. Kiki right. is trying. Kiki has said everything needed to be said. Gave her the reinforcement, but she feels like Yvette Nicole is faltering, and so she, one more time she hits her with something she shouldn't have had to hit—the gutter or the throat. Mm, mm. At which point Yvette Nicole is like, "Let me translate for y'all." This right, whole conversation in the last ten seconds. Let's go back and watch. Listen, there's a lot of so she she knew she was like, let me stop playing. You've been known to use another phrase from Ebonics. In other words, when you say, Is he gone? And somebody say he gone, that means he just left or he may have left at some indiscriminate time to pass. Then you ask again, Well, what I mean, but how long can I catch him? Then you say, He been gone, meaning what you might as well sit here because he been gone. She she been known what she said. <laughs> but now she realizes, okay, let me just explain to y'all this last whole 10 seconds. Because I've been new what she want me to say. I'm just, <laughs> I just want y'all to hold on for a minute while I decide whether or not I should just say what I'm I know. Right. right. Let's just back yeah, up. A lot of black All right, let me, let me bring that back while she's falling. Listen, there's a lot, a lot of black conversation, conversation happening. <laughs> Why did she react surprised? Here, why do you think you've been Nicole? And, and this is what I wanted to say. I feel like we have been so far removed from who we are for so long that Jeez. we don't trust ourselves to be all in that. And I, so I tweeted, imagine a world where every black person tapped into that superpower that we have, that nonverbal communication, that understanding of ourselves and others, where we could come together and do all the things that need to be done without even uttering a word Imagine if we all had that confidence, Dr. Carr and Nubians and everyone else who's listening. Imagine, imagine what the world would look like, you know, if we all just had that confidence. She wasn't confident. And although I think Yvette Nicole Brown absolutely knew from moment one, she kept doubting herself. And this is what the, the evil of this system has done. It, it, it makes us doubt who we even are, not just to each other, but to ourselves, right? So when she got it, because she knew we hear voices, we see things, we, you know, we, we commune with spirits and ancestors. We do all of those things naturally is when the social structure tells us it's evil or it's wrong or it's of the devil or it's this or that. And they implant all of these controlling mechanisms into our spirits is when we, you know, we, and then we, you know, each other, and then we like, don't trust each other. We're looking at all of that distrust. That's not natural to us. Once she trusted herself to say it, because she was like, I don't know if it's right, but it's the only thing that's in my head. And Kiki was like, girl, of course. Of course you have. She wasn't even, she was like, yes, of course. I know what I gave you. 
I know what I gave you. And you know what you got. And it's okay. And you're not going to lose your job. And nobody going to call you a racist in reverse who's trying to get on in your place. And nobody, and this dude over here who's standing at the podium, he won in anyway. Them people over there is irrelevant. Let's just have a bad time. Look, there you go. We start, look, we start, we start, we start this is why you know Kiki's a boss and a G, because she, you know, and he, you know, Jimmy Fallon's like, okay, I can leave now. Yes, you can actually. No, 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 no. What, what Jimmy Fallon's saying is, look at me, look at me. Okay. <laughs> In other words, why are you waving your hand and turning around? That's the beauty. Look, 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 look. The hand and the crook of her arm, like, girl. No, anybody, you ain't got to say goodbye, Jimmy. You were never in the conversation. They want to yeah. be, look, see, now she's like, all oh, this. Yeah, yeah y'all just, you and, know. And, and a white guy still like. Hey, look, 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 wait a minute, go back, go right there. Go back, right back to that. What is your, Yvette Nicole Brown doing in that moment when she's waving? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yes, wait, wait, no, that? No. what is yes, that? Yeah. What are you bet Nicole Brown saying? To your point, I knew, okay, I'm black right now. I ain't got to worry about, I'm not code switching. I'm not, okay, yeah. I got the hand up. <laughs> and then they have, and then they, and then, and then they give each other the death. Yeah. No question. Yeah. In fact, in fact, Glenn Burke. And Dusty Baker, who are widely attributed to have invented the white uh, the high five when they were on the Los Angeles Dodgers. And by the way, parenthetically, shout out to Dusty Baker Jr. Hopefully, uh, Johnny B. Baker Jr. will get that World Series ring this year with the Houston Astros. I haven't been to a Washington Nationals game since they let him go. And I don't know that I'll ever go back down there. Who knows? You know, time is long. But when Baker and Burke, who are uh, widely attributed to having invented the high five, um, when Baker had talked, when Baker talked about it, it was almost accidental because see what 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 determines whether you go high or low in the case when and they were, you know, it was a game. You know, the idea is I'm gonna dap you up. And we know there's a whole history of dap. Books been written on the people talk about it. He went high because that's where Burke's hand happened to be. It wasn't planned. But the idea of even touching palms like that, the down movement is you know robert Frears thompson writes about what is called uh he calls it the get down quality in africana uh, cultural meaning making that category we're talking about the idea that somehow proximity to the earth is considered better depending on the context because what you're doing is being grounded so when you go down and even not only when you go down with your hand when you go down with your voice you're saying we grounded this is solid this is fundamental. So Kiki Palmer, mm, mm. black people, mm, mm, mm. in other words, the thing going down, <laughs> the, the whole movement from high to low, uh, peace be still, they all shall sweetly obey thy will. You went from the, you know, you keep building up, right? Jesus Christ sleep in the boat. Christ comes up, they say, Master, the tempest is raging. Oh, the billows are tossing high. They try and get him out the bottom of the boat because the disciples is on top, on the top deck, and the, and the water is all over. Carest thou not that we perish? And they singing, and then you know, Christ comes up on the deck and he says, Where the, the wrath of the storm tossed sea, 
or demons or men or whatever they be. No, and he gets getting getting now. The choir is getting louder. The master of ocean of earth. Now they really loud and sky. And then they go. They all choir director claps. They all shall sweetly. That's the get down quality. In other words, and then everybody starts screaming. That's when the church gets turned out. Everybody, ah, why? Slapping hands at the bottom, mm, mm, mm. going down, mm, mm. or going from high to low immediately. The drop, that's the listen what I'm saying to you. Understanding black speech. You know, when you, when you know when somebody's serious, and then this girl come in, and I told her, I, I told her. This <laughs> <laughs> is the get down quality. Right? I mean, this is what African people do. If it's serious, you're going to get the whisper. <laughs> Prof, how many times you've been in a black, you've been, been at the Rucker, and maybe somebody dunk on somebody, black people don't be like, yay! Black people be like, ooh. <laughs> you go down. You don't go up. So the, so, the, so the give five is a down move. It just happened to go up because Burke was coming in the dugout and Baker and him hit because his hand was up here. He would have given him that down there. It was just so, And now the high five is considered cool. So even our mistakes, y'all be copied. Damn it. <laughs> and and y'all need to know, um, I never told Dr. Carr I was going to play this video. No. I had no idea that you were going to break this down. No. This, no. Is, this is everything that I didn't know I needed today. So thank oh, you. Oh, no, we ain't play. Oh, I should, I should mention one other thing. There's a uh, um, Danny Dawson, who's a professor in New York. Uh, he and Robert Fred Thompson had a conversation one time about these gestures of respect. These gestures, whether it be the hand or the high-low, what they are also acknowledging, this goes to what you were saying, Prof, about this nature, uh, this whole notion that we exist in a reality that isn't all physical, which is why when we talk about nonverbal, to me, that's very much looking at it through an Africana lens. That's very much a social structure categorization. It's like saying extended family. You understand? I mean, in other words, are they family? They're not family. You say extended because your concept of family is two parents and a child. And anybody else is superfluous. No, that's not how the world, other people in the world look at that. There are many people who don't look at it that way. So what you have is a constricted family. We have a family. You have a constricted family. Now, in terms of what you were saying earlier, speech then is only one form of communication. So when people say nonverbal communication, they're attempting to kind of piece out how to receive this stimuli. Now, this is why, and let me, let me be very specific in a minute, talking about this Dawson and, and, and Thompson conversation. This is why when we were creating those conceptual categories, social structure was very straightforward. And to go back to something you raised earlier, the reason we had to have a social structure category in this contemporary world is because the modern world system anchored in capitalism and patriarchy and this kind of violence-based thing, white supremacy, white, the concept of white supremacy, and not supreme, the concept of whiteness, that is the contemporary world system. One of the things that it did, however, is put all of humanity in communication, almost all of humanity in communication with each other. That is a contribution because what then you do when you put people from all over this ball in communication with each other, you can see people's similarities and differences. That's the thing we're piecing together. Arguably where we are now in the human experience was predictable. Once you put everybody together, in other words, there was a moment when the people that did it were able to manage this, but they were never ever quite able to manage it because it's people. 
But now the thing is coming apart in terms of their best laid plans of how to manage. The question is, how are we going to manage from now on as we continue to build now? So, the, so we needed a social structure category because we live in a world where the concept of who we are is always mediated through other people. So just like Yvette Nicole Brown and Kiki Palmer there, even though they trusted themselves, certainly Kiki did, Yvette Nicole Brown in a moment had to deal with this external social structure she live in, even so much as, as you say, I may doubt myself or I may hesitate for a moment. I think about uh, Amir Baraka in 1972 at Gary, Indiana, the, the National Black Political Com uh, Convention, where he's quoting W.B. Du Bois on Double Consciousness. And he says, Du Bois is really talking about a ghost, this white ghost in your head, always telling you what to do. What you telling them to do? But the ghost is the ghost. <laughs> you know, Baraka in his in his beautifully creative way, saying, "Stop listening to the ghosts." You know what I'm saying? So Yvette Nicole, maybe that's the ghost. I don't know. Anyway, back to Dawson and, and Thompson. Have really left. The governance category is created because that asks the question: How did or do African people in the moment we're studying, in this case, this text, how do we interact with each other? The reason we, we needed a social structure category was prompted by the necessity of what has happened over the last 500 years. We got to turn that noise down for these external things, this ghost conversation. But we must also recognize we live in this social structure. Going back to something we talked about in the first 10 minutes. So we don't ignore it. You can't ignore it. It may cost you your life. But you must not allow it to shape what you also know which you know first, which is how we relate to each other. Now, the re the further reason we need a social structure category is because human beings have always created social structures. The difference between the last several centuries and before is that the social structures we created, which are usually basically, how do you manage the affairs of human beings living together and managing together? So rules, what are the protocol? What are all these things that are going on? Those are social structures. We, humans have always had social structures. The, 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 the way that, Kemet, that the Nile Valley Society organized themselves over thousands of years. That's a social structure. The Parawa, the Pharaoh, the gnomes or the Sepet, the districts. How do you manage? How do you come together? How do you do the great works? Okay, we can't farm right now. So this is between after the harvest and before the planting. So we'll take these three months before the Nile floods and, and after it recedes, we'll take those three months and that's when we'll do the public works project to put the farmers to work so they have something to do and they eat. That's the pyramids. You saw slaves built the pyramids. Stop. You should go over there with those people that say black people sold black people in slavery and we'll give you a book list and y'all come on in here. We can have a conversation. But right now you're speaking authoritatively, which means you probably don't know enough about it. At least you ain't Ben Carson to say that they had grain in the pyramids. And that's just unforgivable. I think at that point you're just being deceitful because I don't want to put you in a category with Herschel Walker and say you got brain damage because you worked on brains. So we're going to, you know, maybe give you a little bit of a pass. Plus you're an elder. There's a protocol of that in the governance structure. So the governance category we're asking who we are to each other that becomes different than the social structure category once we are taken once the invasions happen once the invasions happen with the intent on disrupting whatever was going on in africa prior to the disruption this is where black people sold black people in slavery my thing is you're absolutely right say a little bit more about that into what into slavery where does slavery come from well they were enslaving each other before okay could you be specific no, you can't. Okay, here go two books and we'll come in. Take a couple of weeks, come back, we'll talk some more. And then you see the thing start unraveling. But when the boat showed up from Europe, that's a very different concept. Uh, yes, yes, it's very different concept. So what you then see, all right, let, me, let me just get to the point here. 
when these disruptions, and this is what Howard French is kind of summarizing from previous scholars and then adding his own unique perspective and research in Born in Blackness, you see an interruption in the social structures of West Africa, Central Africa, Southern Africa, because those invaders, the Portuguese and the Spanish, then the French and the Dutch and the English, what they are doing is injecting their social structures, their cultural meaning making, their movement and memory, their ways of knowing, their governance structures into these African contexts that are very different from each other depending on where you are on the continent, but also share some things that you won't know they share until you pull all those people by the millions into this criminal enterprise called a modern world system. Now, Dawson and Thompson, I haven't forgotten where I'm going with this because it's actually about the high five, it's about the voice inflection, it's about the high low, because the ways of knowing of African people, there are many ways of knowing that differ from each other and there are many ways of knowing that share similarities. One of the similarities is that you don't, while you acknowledge the reality that the physical is only one dimension of reality, that there are other dimensions. And all human communities recognize that. The question then is, what do you do with it? What do you do with that recognition? In many of what we would now call the European societies, whether it be France, Cartesian logic, the whole assertion, I think, therefore I am. In other words, my, my physical ex existence and my immaterial existence are somehow uh, bifurcated or separated, um, then you start doing things like acknowledging there are spirits, but assuming those spirits mean you harm. Where did that come from? You're not going to find Frankenstein stories and Dracula stories in Africa. Will you find ancestors that don't mean you well? Absolutely. Will you find spirits that don't mean you well? Absolutely. But this idea that automatically we're coming into Halloween in a minute and All Saints Day, the thing you can't see, you begin to narrate based on your cultural experience. And of course, the cultures of Europe are based on scarcity because African people migrated up in there, adapted to that place, and scarcity is the rule. Scarcity drives your culture. That's why, as we talked about last week, all the children's stories are violent. Be scared of old folks. Stay out the woods. They'll eat you. You know, all the whole question of, you know, bristling against the class-based hierarchy, which means internecine conflict, rock-a-bye baby in the treetop. When the bow breaks, the cradle will rock. When the, when, when the bow, bow breaks, the cradle will fall and down will come cradle, baby and all. That's about a plot to kill the heir to the throne in England. England always putting them murder plots into their stories. Let's kill the king. And when we kill Humpty Dumpty, all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty uh, together again. You thought the you thought the, the castle was going to save you? Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. You up at the crane. You oh, look at the castle. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. In other words, y'all constantly talking about fighting each other. Meanwhile, you come to Africa and those stories, Anansi, how the spider get a tiny waist because he told his two sons, his two feet starting, one over there, one over there. You take this end of the rope. You take this end of the rope. I'm going to tie it around my waist. You tug me when that feet start. You tug me when that feet start and I'm going to eat both places. The feet started at the same time. And that's why the, the spider has no waist. Why? Because he was greedy. In other words, those sto stories teach values. The values of Europe are all, often grounded in a cultures of scarcity. Not always. But frequently, now, I'm going far afield in this, but I'm going to get to the point. In a way of knowing that says there's a physical reality and then there's a reality we can't see, we know it's there, 
the cultural meaning making then pours into how you narrate that. And different people do it all over the world differently. There are exceptions to what I just said about Europe. Certainly, certainly as you go farther south, you're going to see some exceptions. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. There are exceptions all over the African continent. In other words, all Africans aren't the same. We know that. All humans aren't the same. We know that. Now, the next category, so social structure, governance structure, ways of knowing. Here's where we had a little challenge. We talked about this in office hours. I'm just going to mention it now as it relates to what we just saw and tying all this together. What the science and technology category is a little tricky because I'll tell you, we, we, we created that category in part because we were creating a curriculum framework for the school district of Philadelphia. They had this mandatory African-American history course. I'm saying we're not going to do history. We're doing African studies. This is our one shot at this. So when we created the conceptual framework, the idea was we were managing ourselves in a school system, in a country, in a world that has now put a premium, they say, on STEM, science, technology, engineering, mathematics. So we need a STEM category. Yeah, but we don't want to violate the rhythm of what we're doing intellectually. So we got, okay, there's a way to do that. Let's put science and technology together. People will recognize it. They can enter it. But there's an argument to be made that the science part, science is the conceptual logic. Technology is like applied science. So you could just make it technology. Science is a way of knowing in a bit. In fact, I love a quote I was reading the other day. William McNeil, the historian, said that science is paying selective attention, paying selective attention to the total input of stimuli. That's all science is. So, Prof, when we think about, you know, well, Black people do this naturally. No, Black, this is a science. It's a way of knowing. In other words, it is paying selective attention to the total input of stimuli. What does that mean? Well, I'm a chemist. What does that mean? Well, you, you have a periodic table, right? Yeah. You've identified all the elements, all the elements that have been uh, discovered. Okay. And then you're going to use those elements to do what? Well, I'm going to see what happens when I mix this one and match that one and mix this. So you're paying selective attention to the presence of oxygen the presence of hydrogen. You're paying selective attention to the total input of stimuli because that's water. And then you took water and began to disaggregate it according to its elements. You're paying selective attention to these, these in the total input of stimuli, you're paying selective attention to certain things that you have marked a certain way. And the next thing you know, you come with a damn atom bomb. Well, guess what? In this context, I'm thinking about African people. There's a physical reality, there's a non-physical reality. When you touch hands like that, when you make your voice go like that, when you move into a space like that, what you're doing is you're communicating, but the non-physical thing that you're recognizing is the relationship. Relationship between everything that exists. And this is where I am. Among the Congo people, probably most prominently, but not just the Congo people. There's this notion that everything is connected, but that connection also has with it separations within that connection. What do I mean? There's a time when you gotta leave your parents' house. Rites of passage, you are now an adult. You're now passing a line, you're crossing a line. There is a moment when you break a relationship or you suspend a relationship with another human being. In terms of cultural meaning making, there are ways to communicate when you recognize a line and when you are uh, negotiating how you should react on either side of a line. So for example, here's where the example comes in. Many of the gestures, many of the gestures we see in Africana are gestures that come out of this way of knowing 
this science of communicating lines. So you and me walking down the street, Prof, we come up on a telephone pole and we go around the pole in opposite directions. One of us got to go back around. Why? There's yes. a line there. Yes, yes. Why is there a line? What is the line? It's a pole. It don't line. Yes, there is. The line you can't see is there. Oh, that's a pole. The, 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 uh, the invisible line stretches all the way in both directions. What we have just done by splitting that pole is separate ourselves. We're together. So, uh-uh, uh-uh, we just crossed the line. Either the youngest got to go back around or the one that was walking first got to go, uh, keeps going, the other one walks. But one thing for sure, we got to come on both sides of this line. That's right. The line is there. Okay, now, when you get somebody five, where's the line? I'm breaking the line. We together. You understand? There's a line there. Somebody saying something you don't like. And then I told that girl, I was coming up, uh, baby, I'm sorry. I'm blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it isn't just the hand. What is it? The line. I just put a whole wall with emphasis. <laughs> That's different than you and me. No. Line. Danny Dawson. Robert Frears Thompson, in conversation, is an essay in a book called The Aesthetic of the Cool. Robert Frears Thompson, they put this trans... No, 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 it's not. Paul. Paul. Inscribing Meaning. Exhibition catalog, Smithsonian National Museum of African Art. Conversation between Danny Dawson, Prof Dawson. He's it was in my you at the time. Robert Frears Thompson, now ancestor. Uh, yeah, it's an, it's an inscribing meaning. Mary Nuda Roberts, I think, is the lead editor of that. If y'all can find that exhibition catalog, I got one around here somewhere, but I'm not gonna go. When you, when you close your eyes, can you see the title? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. The cover, everything. But that ain't no that ain't no party trick. In fact, it reminds me of uh Amadou Hampate Ba. Hampate Ba, who writes about the fact that you know, when you ask him a question, he wrote, he's a historian in terms of writing history, the word history from the Greek, historia, to know by writing. But writing in many ways, Hampate Ba would say it kills my capacity to remember because what I've done is relieve my brain of the responsibility of reinforcing what I know because I let it go through my fingers onto this page. And even that's just a capture of a bit of it. I'm not saying don't write. God knows. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? What I am saying, however, to reinforce from another brother, um, Wande Abambola, uh, who's a Babalawo, his son and our colleagues at Howard, uh, Kola Abambola, Baba Wande Abambola says literacy in many ways kills memory. So yeah, uh, in, in, in his book, uh, Amakulea the Fula Boy, what Amadou Hampate Ba says is if you ask me a question about my childhood, I'm not telling you from memory the way you would think about memory. When you ask me and I start answering, I'm answering because I have a picture in my head and I'm just describing what I'm looking at. And if you think about it, that's how memory works. Mm. Remember that time we were walking and you skinned your knee? Immediately, you back at that tug of war and vacation Bible school in the seventh grade when you got that scar and they asked you how you got that scar. And you are not remembering it. You're there. And what you're doing is narrating what you're seeing. So yeah, when I close my eyes about a book, I'm looking at the book. I'm looking at the page in the book. I'm, John Henry Clark was the master. John Clark tell you after he lost his eyesight, he writing books by dictating. He could tell you if he send you in his house somewhere, his secretary, Miss Anna Swanson, who just made transition. She talked about that all. She used to talk about that all the time. Clark would say, go upstairs, go up there, go in that second room, go in that, go in that all the way to the wall, that stack that's up there. There's like maybe three or four books from the top. Pull that. It's, I think it's chapter three. I think it's page 73. 
Just how the hell does he? Because he read them books. And you remember where you were. Anyway, Thompson and uh, Dawson in this conversation, they're talking about a performance that Congolese, it was Congolese drummers or Congolese uh, musical group, had at Carnegie Hall. And as they were doing their performance, they started making gestures on the stage. They're making these gestures. They're making these gestures as they're drumming and singing. And people in the audience, there were black people in the audience who stood up and started making gestures. In fact, they weren't Congolese. They may have been Afro-Latino. It may have been Cuban or Puerto Rican, or in other words, who of course are the echo, the flash, to use Robert Ferris Thompson's kind of, uh, words, flash of the spirit of these African groups. In fact, it may have been maybe some folks who were initiated in the Mbakwa society. I'm, I'm trying to remember now, which is a society of African people in Cuba who have these African survivals that are co-mingled with enslavement and trauma, but they're part of those ways of knowing. Why do I go through all that? Dawson tells Thompson, the white people in the audience are like, what's going on? Is this a part of the performance? No, no. The performers were making gestures that are part of particular cultural text. They were talking. The people who could read it in the audience stood up and started throwing the signs back at them. They having a conversation. And then they mentioned in passing one of the ways those lines play out in terms of how we gesture in gestures of power. Here's one of the gestures of power that everybody in here has seen and that you've seen probably more than all of us, Prof, because you've seen them in real life. LeBron James coming down, perfect pass, pass it off to what's a Westbrook. Let's give Westbrook some love. <laughs> Westbrook, Westbrook sees James coming down the lane, pass it back to him. James does a thunder dunk, does his line gesture when he goes down. Again, it's all lines, stomping, pressing. And then here comes Russell Westbrook running up to him. James stands there. And what does Wessel Westbrook do to LeBron James with both of them facing each other with their chests out? Jump in the air and what? Gives him a high five? No. Chest to chest. chest that is one of the oldest dance moves between men in African societies because there's a line of power there that we're now intersecting. The chest bump is a is a is a move in our gestures. <laughs> in other words, I'm 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 merging with you heart to heart. People say, oh, that's just black culture. It is black culture. And when young people say for the culture, you don't know how old that culture is. It's all recognizing the thing we can't see, which is the lines. And 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 and, and, and then what we just saw, you know, Kiki Palmer is, is asking Yvette Nicole Brown to come on over with this line. So now, now oh, let me ask you, Prof. Let me ask you. In a context like this, and like, again, because you know you've been in so many of these contexts and had conversations with people who have been in them. Do you think that there is often a a thought process in how far to go in those moments? Because we are increasingly now in the eye of social structure. Yeah, I I thought that. You know, and uh, Sharon, Sharon, and and the Nubia chat said, I don't think Yvette d doubted her answer. I think she wasn't ready for Kiki's strategy, and she was oh. she was questioning the tools. She said, um, 
I think Kiki, she was saying, Kiki, are we really going to show the structure, how we communicate here on live TV? Are we, are we doing this? Interesting. Yeah. You know, I'm, I personally struggle with, because, you know, coming up, being raised in a social structure, being successful in a social structure, whether we're talking about the daily news or publishing, you know, where I, I knew the formula for success and how, which is why I think, you know, it's really dangerous to come on my show and talk about your book because I published 30 plus books and I got, you know, a lot of New York times bestsellers. I know what that formula is for the social structure Yes, that I now widely reject. So I'm like, you know, I've been on both sides. I'm still kind of coming through it. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, where where are those lines? You know, like we all think that there are lines that if we cross them, because I've crossed them many times and I've gotten, <laughs> you know, <laughs> gotten spanked for it. The last spanking I got for crossing a social structure line, I took my eraser and erased the line. And I, this will never happen again because there's no line that I have to cross. I'm building my own lines. Now, now you got to be careful about my lines. So that's that's kind of how I've operated the last 10 years, but it's tough. It's tough because, you know, the, the social structure will make you pay for not acknowledging them. Absolutely. Absolutely. So to use your science, I'm, I'm committed to being equally and opposite, but it requires people to also join. You know, this is why the, the community is so important, like what everyone did to, to surround Uju Anja, Anya to make sure that nothing happened to her. We have to be complicit when we step out, when folk about our folks step out and say, no, there are no lines anymore. This is what we doing. And now you have to pay equal and opposite. Now you have to pay for breaking our line. Here's our line. Or you have to come on and get on this level. I mean, I think. Or not, but you, you, you gonna know when you step in that it's going to be a problem of respect what's happening here. So that's exactly I right. No, I mean, but 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 we live in a world now where the where the globe may not give us a choice. If we either cooperate or as a species, we're done. And I'm looking for this book. There's a young white philosopher just wrote a book called What We Owe the Future. I don't see it and I'm not gonna look for it. It's not important, but he's talking about, and we talked, I mentioned it before. He's talking about what humanity owes the future. If you drop a a can in the street today, it's not the people today it's the people later on if too many of those cans get dropped and i thought this is an excellent thought exercise that should drive how we make policy choices today and it's certainly absolutely nothing new because what, what we're beginning to see what we're continuing to see in these oppressive societies that emerged in the wake of the last several hundred years is that whether it be driven by dreams of profit Ah, thank you. William McCaskill. Yes, what we owe the future. Good. Thank you, Prof. You're helping me. Um, it is what we're seeing is it may be driven by profit. You certainly see the wars now going over petroleum. We just saw that uh, the head of one of the major oil companies has been replaced by the person who is the director of alternative energies. It might have been Shell. I don't remember. I was reading Financial Times. I don't remember which one it was. This might be. Boy, they get these Negroes. Quartin. I'm not going to get into that. UK Chancellor Quartin. Um, but uh, I'm like, we can get this Ghanaian cat. But anyway, but um, I know Oz and them losing their minds out of subject. But maybe we get into a Monday night. What's going on now in the UK? Forget the king, queen, them. You better be looking at that prime minister and them damn energy prices going up. And they're trying to put a cap, as I said, Monday night in office hours. But the Russians are doing okay. 
you see they don't need you know they don't need europe to sell to but europe about to have a problem but anyway uh following with their friends in the united states but the point point i was about to make is that when we think about what we owe the future that's not new to many cultures in the world that don't look at time in a linear format but look in a cyclical kind of uh loop again william mcneil saying science is paying selective attention to the total input of stimuli the total input of stimuli is our experience what we perceive the science is how we shape what we perceive so that we can manage moving through this thing we call existence and western science is based on taking things apart linearity the inevitability of progress whereas many other cultures while factoring those things in do them in a context of cycles and cyclical but we're in a part of a cycle now where you know the species may not exist because of some of these errant or shall we say flawed or inadequate ways of viewing the world that have been imposed on everybody else but here's where it gets i think very interesting the people who generated who are in the genealogy the people who generated those 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 uh those ways of knowing are recognizing that and they want to continue to live i like the way james baldwin put it in the fire next time people saying he said white people say things like I didn't own any slaves. I didn't impress anybody. And he said, that's true. He says, I didn't stand on an auction block either, but you continue to treat me as if I did. Mm. So the point is that you can't escape <laughs> what happened before because you physically didn't do it. You're thinking in a much limited way of knowing, at least when it comes to something like that. And when it comes to everything else, oh, you're ready to acknowledge the things that are no longer physically here, like George Washington's like Queen Elizabeth II, because you're, you know full well that there's beyond what you can see. But when it comes to us, you want us to shrink our universe to fit your memories, like we talked about last week. And we're simply not going to do that. Now that we're not going to do it, and the world has shrunk to the point where the globe, in terms of how we interact with each other, has shrunk to the point where we are inevitable and inescapable. So by 2050, there may be 450 million Nigerians, people in what is now called Nigeria, which is like 100 million more than going to be in Europe, and many people in Europe going to be non-white. You know you can't stop it. So now you want to see, can I manage it for 10, 15 more minutes? I don't know. So there's a book that I haven't started reading yet, but I'll have it read. And I had it, I had about three weeks, but I haven't turned to it yet. It's by David Hackney Fisher, uh, who many years was at Brandeis. It's called African Founders, How Enslaved People Expanded American Ideals. Now, I, don't, I wouldn't recommend this book necessarily. I mean, I got to read it first to see the book is uh let me see the book is wow here including the index the book is about 930 page 940 pages long mm -mm. but 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 look at the uh look at the table of contents he breaks it up into the regions of the united states new england for example he says puritan purposes icon ethics american values icon ethics hmm. chapter two hudson valley dutch capitalists Angolan entrepreneurs, American strivers. Huh. Chapter three, Delaware Valley. Quaker founders, Guinea achievers, American reformers. I'll give you one more, two more examples. Chapter four, Chesapeake, Virginia, and Maryland. That region, English founders, West African strivers, Afro-American leaders. Chapter five, Coastal Carolina, Georgia, and Florida. Barbadian planters, Gullah Geechee cultures, American roots. 
I think this is going to be a fascinating read. Why? Because this white man knows you're living in a world where it was never all yours. To quote another book that came out a couple of years ago, this lady, uh, Professor Christina Prozina Coles, wrote a book called American Founders. Very interesting. Kind of a similar thesis, although not nearly as developed and kind of a different, little bit of a different approach. She taught for a few years at Virginia State in Petersburg, HBCU. And so she's writing on a similar thing. But here's the thing. You can't save America, baby. You can't save this. And you can't save it by putting Absalom Jones face on the cover of your book and claiming him as an American founder, except you don't say American because what uh, Professor um, Coles does is she says, my first of three theses is that everybody who got brought here and is enslaved was an American, regardless of whether we recognize it or not. That's a neat trick. You want to back map this. She says, so we've always been multicultural. That's true. And then that's the only way you're going to have a we is to bring us into it. But you got to also continue the illusion that we want it in. That's why I got to see where, where Fisher is going with this. Because yes, you could say the United States of America has American African founders too. That is no, that's not novel. Hell, we've been saying that all along. But the question is, why you want to keep the enterprise going? Now, if the, if the thesis of this becomes the world going to change completely, then yeah, we can continue to talk. We'll come back around to the woman king in a second and to Disney, because I mean, there's apparently some talk about a mermaid or something, and I think we probably need to address that before we leave. But the, the question I'm, I'm raising with this is, the question we're raising is, you know, how do we center ourselves in a way that contributes to all of humanity benefiting? Clearly, Fisher and them got some ideas, and they continue to recognize, and now more and more, because the thing is teetering, okay, we got to let them in. Let them in what? This social structure. Now, we're going to create some other social structures out of our governance formations, out of our intimate formations, and whether it be Kiki Palmer and Yvette Cole Brown on a game show set in an entertainment movement, that's a metaphor for the way the world is changing. And as the, as the world changes, it's one thing for laughs and we ratings. It's quite another thing. We start talking about the structures that govern our lives, whether it be the use of natural resources, leaving all the carbons in the ground in the, in the ground, and developing other ways of moving that look more like the ways of knowing of the people you brought into this criminal enterprise. And you're beginning to recognize that. So as the oil companies begin to say, we need alternative energies. But the thing you don't want to give up is profit, which means you don't want capitalism to fall. Capitalism is eventually going to fall. But. Let me let me stay let me stay on course here. So they're recognizing it. And Du Bois said back in 1896 or 1897 when he uh, gave the speech here in DC that became the essay The Conservation of Races. Different groups in the human family have things to say to the world. The American Negro has something to say if we will just listen to ourselves. It does no good for African people in the United States to cling to this US social structure as if somehow being in this part of the world is superior to being in other places and somehow this is the last best hope of humanity. This structure is not going to last very much longer. The thing that I you know, thought we would spend a couple of minutes on today, I think we can squeeze it in before we end because uh, we are kind of keep this tight to at least under two hours is the challenge we have in recognizing that because the rest of the world never bought in to white superiority. The narratives, particularly the academics who've made whole careers on 
uh, acting like all the, the people of the world somehow were so subjugated and now we're breaking out and there's this you know, undermining of, you know, there's a subaltern who is speaking. Pause. Most people never bow down. They only do that because they live in social structures that are oppressive and it's easier to get people out of your hair if you can just get them out of your hair quickly. As the old Ethiopian saying goes, you know, when, when, the, when the monarch rides by, the peasant bows his head and slowly as he moves down to bow, farts. <laughs> in other words, you seeing the bow. What you don't hear is F you. I don't give a about you. Well, that's always been the case for our people. But now the numbers are unmanageable. And so this system, in order to try to stay in power for another 10 minutes, is trying to absorb as much of us as we can, as it can without giving up power. But this is where I want to kind of bring it together. This week has been, every week between the time we spend with each other on Saturdays, you know, we all get these, we go through the weeks, and these artificial seven-day units, and, you know, we bring experiences back into our conversations. And another week in class, um... This was the 59th anniversary. We passed it two days ago of the murders of six children in Birmingham. So, you know, this was the 59th anniversary. Did y'all talk about that at all? I don't know if you uh nah, talked about it. I wasn't I wasn't on the air this week. Oh, that's what am I saying? Duh, I know Reese. I mean, y'all was turning up. Uh, Reese was working hard. <laughs> yeah, for everybody, you know, for me to have a platform again, it's not good enough to have a platform that just magnifies my voice. I think the goal should be for all, you know, everyone that has an opportunity to give somebody an opportunity, I wanted to see some things, you know? So, so you know, I have I have a, a quarter, a, an incubator where I can bring people in and see some things for three hours. Absolutely. So that's what I did this week. That's a beautiful thing. Listen, it was nice, it was nice. <laughs> and, and it reinforces what you said earlier about Professor Anya. Uh, you know when you have people that is the key i mean people try to come for her and then more people was like nah uh, 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 no and so cultivating community is the way we survive as a species we know that but yeah we know on september 15 1963 addie may collins denise uh carol denise mcnair carol Ro roberson uh johnny robinson virgil lamar rare and cynthia Dion wesley lost their lives. Four girls, the four girls in the bombing of the 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham, and the two boys in the wake of that, white boys out there celebrating in the streets, and Virgil Ware and his older brother had just finished delivering the Sunday paper. They were on their bike, and one of them crackers shot Virgil and, and killed him, shot him in the back, killed him. Johnny Robinson was accused of throwing rocks at the police. These crackers down there with their friends celebrating the bombing, and the police pulled out his gun and shot him in the back. You know, real, 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 real profiles on courage, punks. Um, so we talked about that in class this week, and it was it was heavy. I mean, I don't ever not want to mark a moment, and so well, I may still have it around here if I don't remember last year. Oh yeah, we talked about the uh, Dau Bay and the Birmingham Project. I played uh, the short film that they made on the Birmingham Project where uh, the great photographer and artist Dau Bay uh, took photographs of uh, young people who were the same age uh, in Birmingham that these uh, six children were when they were killed. And then he took pictures of elders who would be would have been the age that these children had been had they not been killed. So here's one of my favorites. These are two citizens of Birmingham. 
So this child right here is around the same age, and this sister right here is the age that you know one of the girls would have been. And Dawood Bay, I mean, it's just a beautiful collection. This is in his book, Two American Projects. And, and in having that kind of play, John Coltrane's Alabama, which in terms of cultural meaning making was, and in fact, Dawood Bay said he was inspired to do that because as a child, his uh, parents brought home a book called The Movement. And one of the pictures in that was of this, of course, who was Addie Mae Collins' sister, um, Sarah, who was temporarily blinded in that same uh, explosion. And of course, Sarah Collins just published this book last year, The Fifth Little Girl, sole survivor of the 16th Street Baptist Church bombing, the Sarah Collins Rudolph story. She was actually at the White House this week for a summit on violence and terrorism. Um, so we talked about that. And again, it's heavy because you know these are 18 to 22 year olds and I'm showing this stuff. I'm asking for conversation and reaction as we sit with it. Coltrane's uh, Alabama is said to have been written to match the cadence of Martin Luther King's uh, sermon at the funeral of three of the girls uh, there at 16th Street. And so, you know, thinking about that and thinking about today, you know, I thought about how we process this because these were young people who obviously didn't live through that, who have had that in our own movement and memory, to use another of our categories, but who don't always have or take the time to sit with a thing and process. And what does it mean to live in a society, to live in a country, to live in a world where African people are expected to somehow, this is the cover of this week's New Yorker, somehow bow down or pay respect. When I read the articles in here about Elizabeth II, I just laugh. I say, you ain't writing about no world I live in. Are you writing the social structure I live in? But your memories are not my memories. They weren't Uju Anya's memories. But our memories are increasingly being, uh, I don't want to say colonized, as much as accessed to maintain a social structure hierarchy. That is, to me, what diversity, equity, and inclusion is about. We want to stay in control, but we want to get you in so you won't walk away and create your own thing. And then we got a real problem because now we got a problem negotiating with power. In fact, that is the... Um, that is the topic of a book. I just interviewed my uh, very good friend and colleague, Leslie Fenwick. And actually, we're going to be together again this week at Howard Bookstore on Wednesday talking about her book. She's going to sign copies of her book, Jim Crow's Pink Slip, The Untold Story of Black Principal and Teacher Leadership. Professor Fenwick is talking about how after Brown versus Board of Education here in the United States, the, the whole idea was for 10 years, they ain't do nothing. And I'm going to end with that in a second as it relates to this uh, pufferfish governor of Florida and his shovel mouth friend in Texas. This all ties together. After 1954, these white boys decided they just gonna resist. So they didn't integrate nothing. And then by the mid sixties, when it was seen as inevitable, they began to slowly allow some black children into the white schools. And then they turned around as Leslie writes in the first book that I'm aware of that actually does this very fully. They had hearings about it in 1971, actually the Senate. Uh, Ed Brooke and others were on that Senate committee where they interviewed black principals, black teachers, because what they said was, we'll take your children and we'll, but we're going to not let your principals and your teachers teach them so that what we're going to have is white principals and white teachers who don't have as good a credentials as you. And she walked through all of that stuff. Man, I think maybe we should devote maybe a, a, just a special session to this one. In fact, I know we will, but anyway, long story short, 
we're going to control your children now. And that's when you see the behavioral problems and all that stuff, the suspensions, because they put white principals who had no credentials or lower credentials in place of black principals with PhDs and master's degrees, black teachers, they decimated the teacher force. If they kept a black school open, they put a white principal in there and they made the old black principal, the assistant principal, or put him out altogether or promoted him to, you're the head of Title I or you're the head of this or you're the head of that at, at the central office. It was a deliberate thing and it was structured and it was coordinated. The 17 Southern and border states coordinated all this all right so this comes in the wake of 1954 and in many ways 1963 what happened in birmingham is a response and all this is u.s based stuff and this is where i'm going to it i want to find as we come come in for a landing in a couple of minutes um this whole struggle for us to not only see ourselves we see ourselves more often than not but to not have our lives revolve around whether other people, quote unquote, see us, whatever the hell that means, respect us. The I am a man, the, you know, I mean, I just, you know, this whole struggle in a U.S. context is two things. Number one, it's illusory because there's no such thing as nation states that don't exist in this modern world system. So everything is interconnected. And the second thing is it cripples us when we turn inward and still orient ourselves to this social structure keep asking how do others see us? So what it does is retard the capacity of the African in the United States to join these global movements, which have continued to move forward, even though they face stiff opposition from a social structure that has been a predatory kind of cancer on global humanity for 500 years. So when we see the president, the vice president of Colombia and the president of Colombia come in, that is a quote unquote left-leaning government. They ain't hardcore left in the sense that they say, you know, the president said, well, we're not going to overturn capitalism. We see Lula da Silva, who is probably headed for victory in Brazil. If Bolonzaro and them don't try to kill him, or if, which they could do because he's a purebred fascist in Brazil. When we see Bolivia, when we see Peru, when we see Latin America getting away from the United States to the degree possible, when we see Mexico, Lopez Obrador, which who hasn't pulled off the complete transition, not even close, but it's very different conversation than a client president of the United States. When we see the African countries bristling, when we see the Caribbean countries bristling and beginning to talk to one another, the thing is growing beyond the capacity of capitalism to can maintain the control it had in the past. Is it going away? No. Is it going away tomorrow? No. Is it going to eventually go away? Probably not. It's going to die a violent death in many ways. But there is resistance. Meanwhile, the American Negro says, oh, they got a black mermaid. Everybody calm down. Disney is not selling. Disney is buying. They mm -hmm. saw much money y'all gave them for Black Panther four or five times in a row. How many billions did they make out of that? You know, Shang-Chi, they want that Asian market. So Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings, no problem. Namor the Submariner, or Reyes tell you, anybody read comic books, Namor is as far from Latinx as there is. But they're going to make a Latinx Submariner and stick him in Black Panther. They got to figure it out. Who's going to be the next Black Panther? Oh, there will be a next Black Panther. We just got to figure out what the market is going to tell us. I know what you want, Ryan. And I know what y'all talk But we got an agenda. So we are trying to figure out, let me see, how could it be Kashuri? I don't know. We can trust that actress. I don't know. I mean, what's the demographic telling us? What's it's going to be a market for that? I know the women would love it. I mean, the men love it. I mean, white men got to buy some tickets too. I mean, all of this is being cast. Ms. Marvel in the comics, yes, she is Muslim Pakistani. So they brought her in. Now they, you know, kind of playing around with that. This is all driven by capitalism. Now, what's interesting to me is that while the American Negro sees this black woman, this black girl going to be this black, this mermaid, 
And make no mistake, the Little Mermaid, like Password or anything else, you remake the stuff because you're going to squeeze another few dollars out of it if you can and see what's throw it against the wall and see what sticks. You know, I'm seeing articles and people writing about, you know, well, you had Brandy and Cinderella, and then you had the uh, Princess and the Frog Princess, and but this is the first thing. Well, the crab could be Jamaican. And, okay, why y'all talking about that? Prof, have you seen uh, this conversation that has been held around Disney's partnership with these continental Africans? I've not. Yeah, I thought I took a couple of notes about it. Maybe I didn't, but... Um, and and let me just um, also let you know, Brian Stevens and his brother, they were on with Dr. Robin on Wednesday, and they talked about uh, the fifth uh, child that lost their lives uh, in the bombing. So I wanted to just shout out Dr. Robin Smith and the, and the Stevenson brothers, who she grew up with. So it was nice. They've never been on my show. It was, you know, it's great to have a show where people come on your show that have never been on your show yeah, with other yeah. people, with other hosts. I was like, okay, I love it. I love it. Shout out to Dr. Smith doing some incredible work. And Brian Stevenson have not yet been to the EJI, but I'm telling you now, our lips to God's ears, one of these days we're going to do in class on location from EJI and a lot of other places. So we're just going to put that out there. In fact, I'm glad you said that, Prof, because it gives me a chance to read the dedication of Sarah Collins Rudolph's story. Let me just read you what she writes. She says, and mind you now, because in social structure movement and memory in the United States, they hold up the names of Addie Mae Collins and, and Carol Denise McNair and Caroline Robeson and Cynthia Denise Wesley as well. It should be remembered. But the two boys are never mentioned. Are never mentioned. Let me let me read you what uh, Sarah Collins Rudolph dedicates. She says this book is dedicated to the parents of the six children slain in Birmingham, Alabama on Sunday, September 15th, 1963 whose parental example of fortitude and tenacity in the face of adversity forever ensures that Alice Collins, Oscar Lee Collins Sr., Christopher McNair, Charlie Morris, Estelle Merchant, Alpha Bliss Robertson, Alvin Robertson, Johnny Robinson Sr., Martha Marie Robinson, Lorene Ware, James Ware Sr., Claude Augustus Wesley, Gertrude Wesley, and Maxine McNair, who yet lives on, are gone, but never forgotten. There are too many to count who sacrificed. These are the parents of those six black children who died at the hands of white terrorists. The intellectual, the cultural grandparents, the terrorists that is, of the current governors of Florida and Arizona and Texas. Hold still, hold still, hold still hold still we got you by the neck now we're gonna talk about you about five minutes but before we do back to the point i was raising the thing to look out for is a movie that is going to be set in lagos a futuristic lagos to move forward is a word in yoruba they're using futurism the future to move forward the word is uh, Iwaju. I think Iwaju. That is a partnership Disney has gone into partnership with. It's a limited series Disney, IWAJU, I think, bro, uh, with a, a, a pan African company run by continental Africans called Kugali, K U G A L I. It started as a comic book co uh, company, 
I bought their comics. Because, you know, the big thing now is, you know, again, the social structure sees us. We're inevitable, so they start moving us in. You know, you got my man, The Rock, Black Adam. You know, he was in the comics, too. Coming out of Kemet. They're going to have an Egyptian. With Black Panther and everything, right? Avengers Forever. You know, oh, they got a Black Captain America. There he is. Symbol of truth. Captain America, symbol of truth, right? Because, you know, if you put the black superhero on, you might be able to sell some more bling on the back of that very issue is the Black Panther selling citizen watches. <laughs> anyway, it's very nice. Super titanium strength, not vibranium, but the next best thing. Of course, Black Spider-Man, the comic movie will come next one. Miles Morales, Afro-Latino. Boy, I act like these ain't markets. They got the sisters. They got them Dora Morlaji, right? Not the Woman King, but Black Panther, the cover. These are some of the latest issues. You know, I go to the comic book store every day. Even DC getting in. We know, as we talked about two years ago almost now, Wonder Woman, the white woman, had a, a sister actually who trained her to be one woman named Nubia. Well, DC decided to go on and get Nubia back together. This is, uh, what issue is this? This is issue three or four of the latest special uh, issue of Nubia. Amazon's attack, Nubia, Nubia, right? Queen of the Amazons, right? All right, very nice. But comic books ain't just DC and Marvel. Here are two issues of one that's coming out by some Nigerian writers called New Masters, Afrofuturism, Shobo Shof and uh, Yipowe. Now, this is very interesting. Uh, Uraeus knows about all these cats, but uh, this is a sister, Shobo is the writer, who is engaged in this kind of futuristic, she's like a, a, a badass who like, she's mining for this precious metal. You see her there escaping from this sister who's chasing her. It's all set on the African continent in the near future. New masters. Anyway, we'll get too deep into it. A comic book company um, named Kugali is now making a limited series cartoon with Disney. It is the first collaboration Disney has with an outside source. First one. It's set in Lagos. Uh, the co-founder, uh, Toyo, um, Toyo Olufuweku, Olufuyeku, Olufuyeku, and uh, the director, writer, director, Ziki Nelson is like, yeah, we're not making Disney. The only thing that we making that this is is like Disney is the quality of the animation. This is an African story. And I thought about that as the American Negro kind of celebrates this Negro mermaid. And I'm not, hey, again, no judgment. Let the baby see themselves, no problem. And I'm thinking, how interesting would it be for the folk from the Caribbean to get together and make a mommy wata? Because mermaid ain't nothing new to us. I like what Mike Harriet said. You see what Mike said, uh, Prof, you know his mind always working. What'd he say? Michael Harriet said, uh, duh, mermaid's always been biracial. <laughs> but anyway, oh, yeah. I, did see that. I did see that. I mean, it is true. I mean, two races, because technically an uh, African person and a non-African person having a baby is not two races, right? Cats right. and dogs have it, but a fish and a human, I guess that would be yeah. kind of like, Lisa, technically, I'm saying, but of course we know that African women in water representing the thing that can't be seen, Mami Wata in the Caribbean and in West Africa. Yimmy ya. You know, I mean, come on now. You can ask Beyonce about Oshun. She's been messing with Oshun for a long time. So we don't need a mermaid, little or big. But understand, the American Negro's vision shrunk to this social structure. That could be progress. It's also them trying to capture a market. That's not a criticism. It is an encouragement to, again, points of entry. And I had to be reminded of this this week 
I was in class Wednesday night at the law school and one of my former students who's now uh, managing the Thurgood Marshall Center at Howard and really doing a lot of great work in reparations, Billy Wilkerson. She has this concept of reparations, this reparations wheel that she's developed as a theory. And her thing is anybody fighting for any form that they call reparations is welcome in this conversation. We don't have to agree. Goes back to what you were saying earlier. But as we are having this conversation, we should be mindful of the fact that we're not going to agree on a lot of things, but there are going to be points of interest. Like, I absolutely oppose the idea of lineage-based reparations. I think it is absurd. Even when pragmatically people thinking it might survive legal challenge, which it won't. But I respect the fact that there are people now talking about reparations, whether it be in California or other places, that wouldn't have talked about it before. So that is a step toward progress. So what I am not is an ideologue. Like I said, Robinson, I'm not going to impose uh, uh, my own political. No, no, no. We have to be together on that. But that means our togetherness, we don't have to agree on everything, but we have to be moving in the same direction. And I feel, you know, the same way about a lot of things as it relates to that. But I'm just thinking about that one because maybe the Little Mermaid gets us a little step closer to an Awaju. But of course, the American Negro has to embrace being an African in the United States. And the continental Africans have to embrace the diaspora in that respect. These diaspora wars are absurd, unless you're arguing about who got the best jollof rice, at which point your sister and my sister, Ajwa Batwe Azmoa, my sister, she, you know, she gonna always say the Ghanaians got the best. And I ain't gonna argue with her when she in war with the Nigerians or Benin. I get it. No problem. And I enjoy it because I like all of it. You know what I'm saying? All you Negroes using hot spices, which means I know I'm still African because I like the hot spices too. I mean, all that. Is, is part of it, but that's fun and games. That's to be, it gets problematic when you stop, start cutting people off based on where you came out of your mother's womb. And so I'm hoping that the Little Mermaid perhaps will be a step toward eventually telling our stories from our perspectives and forcing Disney into partnerships and eventually being completely replaced rather than just being happy because they colored in one of yours and meanwhile they counting your dollars on the way to their next purely white conversation. You know, now Again, I mean, in Enchanto, not so much as the one they did a few years before with the day, of the, the day of the dead. What was the name of that one? Um, Encanto. What? Encanto? Not Encanto. That was the one before that. Somebody will put it in the chat. I'll look in the chat. Uh, the Disney film where they anchored it around the, the day of the dead in Mexico. Um, it'll come to me anyway. So, yeah, Senegalese, oh, my God, I didn't mean to set off the Jollof Wars. And I know we've been going now two hours. So let me wrap this up because uh, I wanted to mention the, the shovel mouth and, uh, and this puffer fish down there in Florida who now, you know, they, they ain't going to jail. The governor of California wants the feds to open a RICO Act. I saw them on Martha's Vineyard when they were trying to uh, <laughs> say that they, you know, that uh, DeSantis violated. Sure he did. Of course he did. But what you going to do? And next week, maybe we'll talk about this some more. Uh, I want to talk more about this question in Jackson because, again, the world hasn't stopped because we don't talk about it every week. But I want to talk a little bit about the precedent for this. I don't know, Prof, if you saw on social media, and one of the reasons I wore my African Echo shirt today, Newark, Brick City, African yes. Echoes. This is uh, this is the crew, the study group, the longtime study group in Newark. Last time I was up there, they gave me this shirt, actually. My man, Ali McBride, uh, Baba Truth. Uh, the founder, um, Brother Aaron Stedman, um, Inui, who started African Echoes. They've been around for decades. This is like the Newark version of First World in Harlem, the, the study group. And I, and I think in many ways, in fact, I know in many ways, what we do 
is another extension of what they did, did and do because they continue to work in, in real time. But uh, Ali McBride, Baba Ali, tweeted something when he saw, you know, he saw this transporting these planes from Texas to the East Coast, Florida for a minute. Shout out to whoever got paid for that. And then to Martha's Vineyard. He, he, he tweeted a, a snapshot of a newspaper article from 1962 on the reverse freedom ride. Did you see that? I did. I did. I saw it. It was incredible. And, really? and the film, the Disney film is Coco. Coco. Thank you. Yes, Coco. I, I enjoyed Coco. I did. Yeah. I thought Coco was good. I'm saying, and you know, understand it's a lot of Mexicans in the world. They can make their own Coco. You know what I'm saying? And Disney, Disney's not selling Disney's mind. So shout out to everybody who fought for Disney to do these kind of things and look for the day when Disney collaborates with people who got their own thing. Maybe they'll collaborate one day with Nubia. Cause I know we talking about filmmaking too. I mean, that's what we're saying. But anyway, the reverse freedom rides. Um, April 1962, over 200 black people were shipped out of the South, Arkansas, Mississippi, Louisiana, shipped out of the South to dc new york shipped in fact there's a there's an article by uh, clive webb who's actually a british scholar he published it about i think 2003 or 2004 in the journal of um american ethnic was the journal of american ethnic history i had to remember but anyway he details this reverse freedom ride what happened after brown after brown versus the board of education they started organizing so some of them same white boys down there, shout out to the uh, bad rug toupee governor of Mississippi who continues to try to starve the citizens of Jackson, Mississippi, which became a majority black city and they've been under siege ever since for, you know, continuing in the in the footprint of his ancestors who were on the White Citizens Council. And in fact, there's a little book National Geographic did years ago called Spies of Mississippi, the true story of the spy network that tried to destroy the civil rights movement. It's a great book. Well, now you can get this Nat Geo book, Spies in Mississippi. It'll tell you about the Sovereignty Council and all that. All this stuff comes after Brown. Same time as those white private schools and private academies, all that stuff that took place. And they coordinated, just like they're coordinating in Jackson, Mississippi now. In Jackson, for example, the state capital, uh, you know, University of Mississippi has a medical center in Jackson with its own water supply, own water tower and well and stuff like that. Uh, Jackson State is a state school. It doesn't have, as Mayor Chokwe Lumumba mentioned last week, it does not have its own well and tower. It's a state school, though, right? Because the state of Mississippi controls so much property in Jackson, they can't get the tax revenue. So uh, we're going to destroy you, you punk governor and all your little white legislature friends whose daddies and granddaddies was in the white citizens council and the Mississippi sovereign commission. Your day is coming and it's going to be over for you. We just have to remember that we don't take our notes from you. But anyway, this reverse freedom wise out of Mississippi, out of places like Jackson, Mississippi, the architect was a dude named George Singleman. His goal was to expose Northern hypocrisy which is why they sent almost 100 black people to Hyannisport, Massachusetts. Prof, do you remember who had a summer resort in Hyannis? Uh, the Kennedys? Exactly. The reverse freedom ride sent almost 100 black people from Louisiana and Mississippi and Arkansas to Hyannis. And so sending immigrants 
to Martha's Vineyard, oh, the blueprint is out his ass. Except the people they sent were not born outside the United States. We're not fleeing countries that you destabilized. United States foreign policy. Then people not coming here because they love America so much. They come in here because a lot of the wars in Central America, a lot of the wars in Latin America, a lot of the wars that you are fomented by governments you propped up. Hell, you got a prime minister in Haiti right now on your payroll who may have been involved in the assassination of the guy before him. We talked about that last year. But I'm saying you're not finding Haitians coming to the United States because they don't want to be in Haiti. Your foreign policy is making where they're from ungovernable and difficult. As long as long as you get your draws and baseballs out of them factories down there, you're good. But guess what? The people show up and now you want to play politics. DeSantis and Abbott, I embrace you so tightly. I'm for you. Because your criminal enterprise called United States of America, where you think somehow this thing will be held together because we're just going to say, well, I guess we got to figure out. No, we ain't got to figure out shit. You can leave. You can leave. And when this thing falls apart, them very same people who cheering you when they come with them same pitchforks and torches they brought to the capital of the United States on the 6th of January, 2021, when they come to the state house in Austin, we're going to be standing back like them two white contestants uh, <laughs> was doing, looking like, oh, gentlemen. <laughs> anyway, the point is, George Singleton was the architect of the Freedom Rides. He was at a, uh, the reverse Freedom Rides. He was in Louisiana. What had happened? 61, you had the Freedom Rides, of course, going penetrating the South. 62, they decide they're going to start sending Black people to the North to say, because you white people are always anti-racist till they show up at your house. Remember, this is what DeSantis and them trying to say. They coming here, but we're going to send them there. People he sent didn't go to uh, Florida. That's a story for another day. Then they want to talk about the fact it's Black labor. They were in, in the South. They wanted to get rid of black people. In New Orleans in 1962, they threw 23,000 children off the public welfare rolls, almost all of them black. What? So now you want to pay for black people to get put out of the South. Now, this is very interesting. They took out press ads in New Orleans, uh, Prof, in April 1962, the reverse freedom rights. This is what they, as they said. Black people, we will give you free transportation, $5 a piece and no limit on the number of people if you just leave Louisiana and we'll send you to D.C. or a city of your choice. When one of the places DeSantis sent people was uh, Kamala Harris's house. I'm sorry, the Naval Observatory right across from the British Embassy, right up on Embassy Row. There's a precedent for that. You crackers try to do the same thing with black people. And people took them up on it. Also, Angola, the prison, Orleans Parish Prison, as as brothers was getting put out of uh, put out, as brothers were finishing their terms, they offered them the reverse freedom ride, and they tried to get the NAACP to help them. This is the White Citizens Council. They're raising private money. They tried to get state money, but the states wouldn't give them money because what you found in the South was that was too much even for these white racists in the South who were running governments. But Prof, why would you get on a bus in? Louisiana or Mississippi or Arkansas or Alabama and get off in Detroit or Cleveland or New York City or Hyannisport, Massachusetts. Why would you do that, bro? Uh, somebody's paying for it? Exactly. <laughs> if you don't have any prospects for a job, if you have been told, like they told them in the newspapers in New Orleans, that they would help you either have a job, they got jobs waiting for you, or the promise of help then you might get on that bus. 
you might get on that bus. You might be like the Boyd family that came out of Arkansas. Seven of them, I think, husband, wife, they ended up in Jersey City. They got out, <laughs> they got on the bus down there, got off at the Port Authority, at the New York Port Authority. And then who was waiting for them? The press, because what the White Citizens Council said is we're going to make this into an exposure of Northern hypocrisy. And the press was waiting for him. So this was all written up in the newspapers. This is where Bob Ali got that piece from. Over 200 people over the course of a couple of years participated in these freedom rides. Chicago, Cleveland, New York City, L.A., Concord, New Hampshire had over 30 plus. But here's the thing. What was the northern reaction? What do you, how do you think they reacted in the north, Prof, in terms of the governments of the states and the cities and the press? What do you think they said? Rejection. Did yeah. they yeah, because today we saw all people bringing food, this kind of thing. They're going to re I think Cape Cod, they said they're going to take them out there, the people who came from Venezuela. Uh, yeah, Otto Kerner, the Kerner Commission, he was a senator out of uh, Illinois for it. He said, this is like Hitler sending the Jews away. Ken Burns, I mean, wow, really? I mean, that's a hell of a thing to say, man. The New York Times called it cheap trafficking in human misery. Yeah, someone is calling it, a lot of people are calling it human trafficking, um, which, what are your thoughts on that? We're talking about asylum seekers, people who are coming to this country to seek asylum, right? Mm -hmm. Is it human trafficking to put them on a vessel and send them someplace else without necessarily their uh, agreement? Do they know where they're being sent? I mean, there's no. a language barrier. Do they even know? Like, so is it trafficking legally? It's tough. I, I think there's a there's obviously a case. To, I don't say obviously. There is a case to be made. Certainly, if they're going to talk about rule of law, which we're increasingly seeing in this country, there is no really rule of law. If there's no enforceability, there's no rule of law. DeSantis, by having this white woman go out and tell this immigrant cat to go over there to the place and tell people where they got jobs, they got promises of all this, to get them to get on this uh, plane. That seems to me to be pretty straightforward, particularly when you're spending millions of dollars, which came from the federal government, with your legislature, thanks to you, had rammed through a law that said you can do that for people who come to Florida, but none of these people ever came to Florida. So this little side trip that you made from San Antonio to Florida, does that trigger your capacity to then ship them with this money to Massachusetts? Maybe, maybe not, but it needs to be in a court. Now, if it's not, if it doesn't trigger it, then yeah, it could be a form of trafficking, uh, trafficking, particularly when they were lured in ways that promised them something. And when they got there, as you saw this woman who's a lawyer up there for uh, in, 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 um, in Martha's Vineyard, the clip that's circulating around social media where she says that they were told upon arrival to change their addresses with an agency that wasn't ICE, meaning what? They got hearings set up in San Antonio. They got hearings set up in other places. If and when they miss those hearings, which some of them come as early as next week, that triggers their automatic expulsion. In other words, they can't be uh, cataloged and then uh, wait, uh, wait for a trial or wait for a date to assess whether they can receive asylum. They have violated the terms by which they were released into the country. But they did it because they were induced by you. So if there is a rule of law, then DeSantis could be in trouble. But we know there's no rule of law. There's no enforceability. And what this pufferfish punk is doing is setting up photo ops for him to run for president, as is the shovel mouth bastard governor of Texas, who is colluding with him, but threw him under the bus by saying, I ain't know nothing about it. Of course, you all know about it because we know about the Sovereignty Commission in Mississippi. We know about the White Citizens Councils, your parents, your grandparents. And we know that they were colluding. The reason the reverse freedom wise 
ultimately didn't work as effectively as they wanted it were a couple of things. Number one, black people were already leaving the South as many as 400 a day by 1960, 61, 62, which is one of the reasons that uh, Professor uh, Webb argues that the gains of the civil rights movement in terms of electoral strength were kind of forestalled in many ways by the great out-migration, although black people are coming back. And the Northern reaction was, as you say, rejecting the point. In Detroit, for example, the public welfare officer in Detroit said, look, we already got 112,000 people on the welfare rolls here in Detroit. We don't need no more people. In Massachusetts, the governor tried to get the federal government to pass a law to prohibit this kind of thing. And so they thought they were making progress in exposing the hypocrisy of the South. Finally, I'll end with this. I'm encouraged by what Texas governor and Florida governor are doing and Arizona, Doug Ducey. I'm encouraged because it's exposing there is no we. Because if there were a we, it shouldn't matter where you come into the country. And Andrew Andrew DeSantis, uh, Andrew DeSantis, uh, DeSantis's, Ron DeSantis's uh, great-grandmother could not read a word in English when she got on a boat in Italy and came to Ellis Island in the spring, I think it was 1917. Yeah, February. It was, no, it was February 1917 because in May 1917, the federal government, and it's an excellent book, excellent, which I would encourage all people to get. Oh, my goodness. And I won't be able to show it to you. My... Um, my friend and predecessor as student body president at Tennessee State was actually uh, the person who works at Gigi Dixon. Uh, Gigi Peak Dixon is actually, uh, she got the folks at um, Wells Fargo where she works. Ah, here we go. To, um, to subsidize, again, a person who is clearly governance but working in the social structure. This is actually the note that Gigi put in the uh, the book. It's called Immigration Reform, The Corpse That Will Not Die by Charles uh, Kamasaki, who for many years was the chief person on immigration policy for Unidos U.S., which used to, we all knew it as the National Council of the Race, La Raza, uh, Hispanic organization. But this book, this 500-page book, traces the history of immigration. And we know that when Andrew DeSantis's uh, great-grandmother got off the boat at Ellis Island, couldn't read English uh, language. If she had come in May instead of February, it wouldn't be no damn Andrew DeSantis because she wouldn't have been let in. Literacy was one of the requirements that came in. And it's all about race, by the way, and I won't get into that. Maybe we can talk about that another time. In fact, um, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll hesitate on that. Maybe we do a whole thing on immigration law in a minute. But um, I'll end with this. If there were a we in terms of this soul of America business Joe Biden talking about, then if you came in in Texas and, and, or Florida or wherever, there would be a concerted effort and coordination in the states to try to figure out what to do because immigration is why there is a United States. We could, you know, we can get too deep into that. But there isn't a we. And these two white boys and their friends are playing a game that in the 1960s, as in the 1860s, triggered conflicts and the country was kept together in part because you still had that kind of muscle. You ain't got that kind of muscle no more, Chief Rocker. You don't have that kind of muscle anymore. You break it this time, it's over. When I say it's over, Gavin Newsom has already declared war on y'all because he want to run for president. Maybe as early as telling Joe Biden, bro, you, you got to sit down. I can't take it no more. Take the aviator glasses, your wife, you, y'all go on and get your dog. I'm going to take this. He not waiting. 
He told the feds, sue these cats for Rico, sue them because it's human trafficking. Okay. Then he's taking out billboards in Texas and Florida saying, if you need an abortion, come to California. We got you. I'm like, I like this. Why? Because in this, I don't see 2022. Mm. No, 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 no. I see the 1860s. I see the 1870s. These, these people coming to the United States, getting shipped out, they are not the Africans who were escaping during the Fugitive Slave Act, but there's enough of a parallel to predict what comes next. You know what comes next? Secession, fracture. They're not going to secede from the Union. They can't do that. This is a country. Do you know what that means? Anything is possible. The only question is, how does it get there? I don't know if Texas and Florida could secede from the Union now, but I know it's a not enough people in both of those states who don't agree with this so that there could be some internal rebellion. And I'm not talking about violence and guns. I'm talking about enough people organizing the vote. Maybe Beto O'Rourke gets put in or DeSantis loses or other alternative ways like underground railroads of immigrants. We don't want to be a sanctuary city. Fool, do you know the, the damn white nationalist party, the Republicans embraced sanctuary cities? Because the whole premise of sanctuary cities, it was part of the pillars of it was cooperation with the police. If you are in a country with no papers, you in a city with no papers, and a crime happens and the police come to interview you, I ain't talking to them. No, 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 no. In this city, you can talk to them and they don't put it on your record. First of all, you never believe nothing nobody say. But that was one of the pillars of the notion of being a sanctuary city. You're just saying that now because you're a racist and you're trying to be a president. Well, I, I, like I said, I was going to end with that piece in terms of comparing it with the reverse freedom rising where I came to in terms of this notion of it not being a country. But Prof, I think we're facing a, a moment when white grievance, white nationalism, white supremacy, even here in the United States, whether it be the little mad because the little mermaid is black or not white, or whatever, it doesn't have the muscle it had even in the 1960s. Mm. And the people who make the money in the world understand they keep, can't keep running out these same appeals to this shrinking white nationalist group. And I think if we press hard from places we own and control, we can actually make some progress in ways that weren't possible even 50 years ago. And I think you're spot on, which is why I think the social structure might be eroding right before our very eyes, because it's rooted in that thing that's uh, part of the myth that you talk about, and that they're big mad over this, that they're big mad over over this. <laughs> really? Really? You, you're mad because your little girl, uh, and Yvette Nicole Brown actually said, imagine growing up uh, in the 70s and 80s and never seeing yourself. Imagine growing up in my mother's and your mother's generation and never seeing any images of yourself ever anywhere that unless right. it was mocking, you know, because Disney or, was or, Evan Jr. or in, uh, you know, those places like that. I mean, we saw in the 70s. Now, yeah, when, when did Bill Cosby, when did they put uh, uh, the Richard Adam projects in the cartoons? Because, you know, him and his brother Russell grew up in North Philly to Richard Adam Projects and Fat Albert and the Cosby Kids was appointment viewing for us as children. I know we ain't supposed to say the name Bill Cosby, but... Uh, I mean, it is what it is. Uh, it Fat is Albert, what it is. Fat Albert and the Cosby Kids, 1972. 1972. Okay, but to Yvette Nicole Brown's point, it wasn't black girls. No, not, not as princesses. 
not as not as you know well, here's the thing i mean do you really want to be uh enslaved by a man and have your foot cut to a slipper or worry about biting on the wrong apple from some old white witch or do you want to be like the uh rain queen in south africa or uh yasante wadi asante he the queen mother of Ejiso, or uh the uh the women in dahomey who would i mean in other words is it really something to aspire to be a black version of a white woman a white girl you know because they they suffered cinderella's another one of them stories remember her step i mean that that cat would be in jail and didn't her stepmother cut her foot to fit the slip I, i'm like i'm just <laughs> violence is i don't know that i want, want my child to be no what was it snow white sleeping beauty Woo! come on now yeah yeah you know. watch this one beauty and the beast uh. <laughs> I don't know that, <laughs> but anyway, we, we got we got models enough. Wouldn't you rather be Hatshepsut or Inzinga or something? I mean, come on now. <laughs> yes, yes, but who knew those? So you know, who I just want to. I, I thank you again because the reframing of everything, uh, I think, is mandatory. So we have to think through all of the things that we believe. And anybody doing a documentary, if you don't call Dr. Gray Carr before you oh, do no, it. Let him yes, and pay him. And anybody doing a docu series on anybody historic that's black, if you don't reach out to this man, you're gonna you're gonna have some problems because uh, no. you know I could be a traffic cop. We we can point them to because what you said is so important, pro is us. So when people call to you, you think, oh, I know who I know. Who, I do the same thing. If yes. we have enough of us getting the space, yeah. And now you've built the space where we ain't got to talk. We just put each other on. Period. All right. Period. Period. Love immensely love you, uh, love you. in with this uh just because you know we gotta we gotta spend that minute but have a wonderful rest of your day everybody we will see you in uh maroon's medicine chest tomorrow office hours on monday tuesday meta nature wednesday yoga with Lindsay. we're gonna just keep going and going and going because and have a new joint is it weekly now no it's gonna be monthly because you know dr tasha's in buffalo for part no of question. the part of the um the the month so we working That's around her gonna bring yeah. back man musa with the money because there's a lot going on i'm probably gonna bring in angela matthews this week but you know our schedules you know they are what they are we yeah. want yeah. pay attention for the drop yo Nubia and refill we don't play we're not playing yeah. we're not playing yes. Nubia and refill i love it i love it all right y'all have a wonderful weekend love you love you